here. Here. Uh, hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show that has opinions on birds of prey. Yes, I am Max. And I'm JR. Uh, so we've been, uh, how's it going? <laughs> it's fine. Uh, not a lot this week. Uh, yeah, like I said, went and saw Birds of Prey yesterday, and I think I have opinions too, but they are mild. Yeah, like, I, overall, I had minor, like, what I will say is, the show, the movie's fun as hell. Absolutely. And that is one thing the DCEU is desperately in need of. Aquaman was good, but I was bored. <laughs> I have not seen Aquaman. Uh, it's, it's one of those that I was like, does this look good? Um, pass. Shit. <laughs> and I kind of felt bad about it, but at the same time, whatever, it's my time. Um, I <laughs> thought that it was real. Birds of Prey was really, really fun. Um, the thing I will say is... With Aquaman, yeah, the Honest trailer got it dead on, and it's just like instead of adapting an Aquaman story, <laughs> they adapted all the Aquaman stories. There's so much going on, and it's just like, oh, now we're doing this because they do both Ocean Master and Black Manta, and like the origins of Aquaman. See, that's and... too. That's too much in. Uh, oh shit, Young, is that Young Justice? Is that what that is? What? The sh the cartoon. Mm -hmm. With Aqualad and uh, Robin and all of them. Yeah. Um, and they do Black Manta and Young, and Ocean Master in that, in nearly the same time frame. And, because it's only, well I guess it's three seasons now, but, yeah. or will be. Uh, but, it's only two seasons and it's just like, this is a lot of fucking ocean shit. Yeah. Um, can you fight a Batman villain, please? Yeah. Somebody? Yeah. Um, that's too... And does... Don't they do... They have a MacGuffin to get a MacGuffin? Yeah. There's MacGuffins on top of MacGuffin. Anyway. MacGuffinception? Birds yes. Birds of Prey. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so a lot of the reviews that I read are like the first act is pretty slow and feels kind of disjointed. And the reason for that is that it's really nonlinear for the pout until the middle of the second act. Um, you don't, well, it's, it's the entirety of the first act, I'll say. And it, because of that, it feels kind of slow pacing wise to me. On the other hand, so, I think we've talked before that my girlfriend has a really hard time watching movies. Mm -hmm. Because she's like, are we... Uh, like, she gets kind of bored. Where she was like, I loved the first act because every time we turned around and we were doing something new. It was like, well, okay, that's one way to look at it. She's like, no, I'm, I was going to zone out. And then she'd just be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We need to go do a different thing. And... I was like, well, okay. If it works for you, I'm happy. She's like, I've enjoyed that movie more than most of the movies you've br you've brought me to in a while. And I was like, great. Worked for her. So if you've got mild uh, attention problems, first act's great for you. Yeah. Um, a lot of the violence is very cathartic and fun. 
The only one was... That's edging on spoiler territory, so I'll... I'll hold off on that. They they do they break more legs than a church crab boil. Jesus. Uh, but the the thing about it is like yeah, I mean Harley Harley acts like a leg killed her parents. Uh, <laughs> but the but the thing about it is so yeah. The, f- the first act and change are very disjointed. There's um, a reason was, for that. It was intentional. Yeah. Uh, it was not a choice I might have made if I were making the movie, but also I'm not a filmmaker, so what the fuck do I know? Yeah, it's kind um, of what I thought too. Is like, I don't, this isn't the choice I would have made, but I also don't know what choice I would have made to to achieve the same goal. Because yeah. that's the thing. It is a... It is a very specific choice made to achieve a very specific goal, and I don't know how I would have achieved the same goal with a different choice, so whatever. Yeah. So, um, basically, who gives a shit what I think is kind of what I'm saying. A lot of, you know, a lot of, what I will say, I get really annoyed with a lot of the complaints about, well, it's just a Harley Quinn movie. It's not a Birds of Prey movie. Uh, The thing about... The thing about it is, Margot Robbie, in the wake of Suicide Squad, they yeah. were like, we want to make a Harley Quinn movie. And she's like, cool. Uh, but I've been reading all these comics. There's a lot of really cool female characters. What if we put a bunch of them in there, too? And, you know, she fought to get these characters in there. She fought to get a female director. You know, she on fought for the, the a female led writer. Yeah, and and so it it's one of those things that and people complain about. Let's well, it's more a Harley Quinn movie than a Birds of Prey movie. Well, guess what? You would not have gotten a Birds of Prey movie had Margot Robbie not done this. Oh yeah, like no, that's she, all there is to it. She clearly she's the shining spot in Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad is. Not a great movie. It is not. There is not a lot redeeming about it, but she is the one bit that you're like, you know, you you buff that up there. I bet it'd be pretty good. Like, I mean, it's also pretty gross in its treatment of her, which is... The movie's gross. Um, however, it you can... a lot of problems. You can tell that she was looking at the character she created and was like whether or not that character actually made it to screen in suicide squad she looked at the character she was working on and was like i really love this person i want to continue making these pe- this movie or i want to continue i would continue playing this character they gave her the opportunity she was at the height of a significant amount of power with warner brothers and could be like yes but I want all these things. And they were like, you've been in three Oscar nominated movies for us in the last three years. You can do whatever the hell you want. Right. And they were like, cool. And she's okay, cool. Uh, she, so she fought the studio to get it done. And the, so I guess I agree. I'm agreeing with you that if she hadn't been able to do that, then we wouldn't have gotten any of the other three characters. 
We we would not have. No. no. Huntress, maybe, but we would have gotten one of them. We wouldn't have gotten all three. It would I, not have been the movie that it was. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think it's one of those things that when you're talking about making the jump from a comic book, uh, from a company that has fucking 90 years of continuity to a film in which you have X amount of time to do whatever you want to do, there are practical concerns. And the fact is, you know, I don't know why Oracle wasn't in this one. I know she was in an earlier draft, uh, but maybe Warner Brothers said, you can't use her. We've got plans for her somewhere else. But Or, uh, for, I can see that actually from a story concern. It's just, we're already not to get... I'll try to stay to stay out of Spoilerville, but like it's already a little convoluted getting the four of them together. Yeah, it, no, I, adding I agree. Adding someone else that's exclusively external. I think I think a lot of people would have rathered uh, Oracle had been in it instead of Cassandra or Renee. Yeah, and um, those people are wrong. Well, <laughs> no, I love I love Renee Montoya <laughs> to death. For several reasons. But I will say my biggest problem with the movie yeah. involves Renee Montoya. Yeah, you were saying that. You know, the the, the the thing about it is, so... If you've been following all the stuff around Birds of Prey, there was the fact that uh, Ewan McGregor came out and said that Black Mask and Zaz were probably gay. Uh, first of all... Just a tip. You don't get points for representation for stuff that is explicitly not on screen. Like, J.K. Rowling doesn't get points for having Dumbledore being gay because she had to come out and say oh, yeah. he's gay. I have. If you have to tell us about it later. Yeah. Now, if it's not in the context of the book, no. or in the text... Yeah, not the context. Well, I'll get to that part in a second. But everybody was just like, yeah, that doesn't really count. Now, the problem with that is, you know, and I realized after the movie, I'm like, you know, it makes sense why they made a big deal of the fact that Ewan McGregor said that. Because Renee Montoya, despite being an open lesbian in the comics, is not explicitly gay in the movie. She does say there is one line. What? When they're referring to the assistant district attorney as her ex-girlfriend. Did they actually say that? Yeah. I missed that bit. Yeah, there is one line. Because their relationship was such that I was like... Yeah. This is a, this definitely has lesbian energy. And the, you know, the way they were acting when... Uh, it was in the same... It's in the scene where you first see the t-shirt that she's wearing. I missed that bit. Okay. Yeah. Still. It's not a lot. They basically lay the seed and then let you pick up on the energy that you're talking about. Yeah. For the rest of the, their interactions. Um, which, again, is few and far between. It's only two scenes after that, I think. Yeah. They, she, Ali Wong is not in a lot. Oh, no. Which, why would you cast Ali Wong just to not really use her? 
Like I don't know. Why would you cast Mark Marin not to use him in Joker? He's in one scene and has three lines, if I remember correctly. Well, that's a whole. But yeah, of course. I don't know I, why I, you I cast Mark Marin. And don't... in the scene in the scene where you first see Montoya's T-shirt, I was also trying to figure out where I knew her partner from. Oh, okay. Not the captain, the doofy detective that's with her at the crime scene. Yeah. And then in that scene in the captain's yeah. office. I couldn't uh, I couldn't pick him out either. Yeah, he was on Preacher and uh the show Future Man. Oh uh, Future Man is where I know him from. He was Wolf. The crazy dude. Yeah, uh, he one of the two that come back, back. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah to work with PETA. Uh <laughs> but yeah, so the pro—I guess ultimately the problem is that yes, uh, it is not a stretch to make Zaz and Black Mask's relationship gay, but history has a long—or sorry. Hollywood has a long history of gay-coded villains. Yeah. And it's like, it's 2020, guys. That's why like, I wondered why they were... I kind of picked up on that, and I was like, I wonder why you're doing this. We don't... Yeah. He could just be evil. He doesn't have to be evil and gay. Like... And that was one of the other minor issues that I had with, with Black Mask. Um, the scene in the club... Where he gets yeah. the, makes the woman get up on the table and all of that. Yeah. I get why the scene was in there. I get yeah. that that was supposed to be Black Canary's breaking point. Like the point at which she's just like, I'm done with this shit. Yeah. I get And also, that. from an audience standpoint, it's like, if you hadn't figured it out yet. That's the problem that I have. Okay. You don't like that? Because I was okay with that. The problem that I have is, it's okay for them to be just a criminal. Like, you don't have to make me hate him that much more. That's true. I already, it's enough that he's a criminal and collects people's faces. You don't have to make him a misogynistic sadist as well. And it's just like, I get it. <laughs> I'm just saying it's on the, and I recognize that we're kind of, we're in a, we're in a period of the charismatic villain that you root for. I get that. We're in a period where, you know, we have the villain and they're so cool and you want to be them, but like, they're also the villain and blah, blah, blah. And so I get that sometimes they will then be like, well, we can't have that we have to make sure the audience hates this guy and so we throw in something like that but that's just gilding the lily it's enough that he collects <laughs> fucking faces yeah yes agreed i i think i like it better i mean we could already go for once they arrive like, the, the Black Canary finally, like, goes, okay, no, enough of this shit is, uh, no, now we're full-on spoiler territory. But, yeah, um, we could have done that later. We could have done that a different way. 
No, yeah, yeah but yeah. I mean, it, inside the same context, inside the oh. story that we got, mm-hmm. you could still have that moment a scene and a half later when yeah. they arrive at the place and find out what they have to do to get the thing. Yeah. And she could just at that point be like, okay, no. Yeah. Um, but whatever. All right. Um, so, so, Marvel news, since we talked for 20 minutes about DC. I'm, I'm off 16. by... Okay. Um, but anyway. So, uh, <laughs> this is one of my favorite things. Uh, because it's just so fucking awful. Uh, Marvel has accidentally implied that the Eternals created China. Um, Run that back for me. So... Marvel's been doing some stuff to celebrate Lunar New Year. Sure. Um, They did, like, their Marvel Zodiac, where each sign of the Zodiac is a different Asian character. Whatever. Uh, You know, but they did... like, oh. All right. uh, But they also did... They did a series of post, uh, like, pinups that were Chinese-styled... You know, images of their characters, you know, very, 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 they're pretty, don't get me wrong, but the problem is that Marvel kind of stepped in it, in that, uh, apparently, the, um, they did one with the Eternals, where you see the Eternals flying over the mountains of China with, like, mist around the mountains, and there's a red sun behind them. Red suns, apparently, in Chinese culture, mean creation. So Chinese readers saw that and took it as they were implying that China would not exist were it not for the Eternals. And, uh... Oops. Yeah, that's one of those times when, you know, front-facing diversity is great. Uh, having having characters that are representative of different cultures and peoples are good. Uh, but you also need someone back at the office who's just like, Hi, um, that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so yeah. So, that's, that's funny. Uh... Anyway, um, the other actual comic news is that they have a they have teased a new series, and we won't know until this next week uh, what exactly it will be. But it is supposed to be a super ambitious new series from Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross with artist Yildere Sinar. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. If I'm not, I apologize. Um, but, yeah, uh, we don't, all we have to go on is a single teaser image. And it's, it's an Alex Ross, these are the Marvel characters image. Yeah, it's, it's, it's several. It's um, Spider-Man and Captain America and Wolverine and Arrow, yeah. Pun- Punisher. Yeah. Arrow as an A-E-R-O, not right. like... So, bow and, um, oh, 
Well, the arrow, that actually is kind of fun. You don't see him around a lot, unless he's been around a lot lately. Who? Arrow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I was so, talking the Asian character who has wind powers. Oh, I was thinking Thanos' brother. No, who also no has that's, that's Eros. Eros, I'm an idiot. Yeah, that's Sorry. Eros Star Fox. Um, yeah. Arrow is the Asian character with wind powers. Uh, so, anyway. yeah, as far as the teaser, as far as the teaser image goes, it's like this is a very pretty Alex Ross cover. Which pretty much describes every Alex Ross cover. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Alex Ross is work is phenomenal yeah, absolutely um, but he doesn't tell me anything other than the covers will be very pretty yeah and that's great yeah. i mean that's great but whatever it is who knows plus kirk Busick, like kirk Busick. sure uh but yeah uh last but not least we have the super bowl ads yay Black Widow, we got to see a bit more of Taskmaster, which was cool. We got to see him actually mimicking mm-hmm. Captain uh, America. Well, and uh, Black Widow. Yeah. When they do the when they do the fight, the uh, they're both on their backs and they both flip. Oh upward. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was so. I don't think I'm going to be surprised about who Taskmaster is in this movie, and I think it's going to... I'm okay with it, but I think it's going to irritate the shit out of Taskmaster purists. Okay, what's your theory? It's, uh... Her mom. Okay. Um, well, god damn it, I like that actress a lot, and I cannot come up with her name. What is her name? Uh, it's not, it's not her mom, like, it's a character we've, whose face we've seen on screen. Rachel Weisz? Yes, I bet it's Rachel Weisz. Okay. Or, it's several people. It's several people? Um, and Rachel Weisz is one of them. Okay. Um, Taskmaster being several different people wouldn't surprise me. Kind of like, uh, <laughs> never mind idiot thing Paul said. Who was it that Paul thought was several different people? Uh, Gary Oldman. <laughs> Gary Oldman is many different people. Um, okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to explain that, listener. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I think that's what I think. And I, I did th- read we shouldn't say listener. Oh, okay. Anyway, moving on. They... I think that that's what going to be what that is, and I think overall I'm still going to love the hell out of that movie, so I don't give a shit. Yeah. Uh, the other actual, like, new shit was the snippets of footage we got from both uh, Hawkeye and Bucky, and... Hawkeye and Bucky. Falcon that is and Falcon Bucky. and, and Cap, Captain America. Falcon? Is it Captain America and Falcon or is it Bucky and Fa- Winter Soldier and Falcon? Falcon, it's Falcon and, and Winter Soldier. That's what it is. Uh, so, I'm excited. The footage of Falcon Winter Soldier looked cool. Yeah. Loki was whatever. I figure if there's a good writing team for Loki, that can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Loki. 
Loki handled correctly is fun. Daniel Kibblesmith's recent Loki book, yeah, that was, was a, lot a lot of fun. Um, uh, was so the only thing about that was interesting, like Easter eggy wise from the Loki section, is that the the logo on the jumpsuit is TMC. I think is what it is. T R. It's the Time Council. Like the you went and broke time, you motherfucker. Oh, the uh... shit. I'm gonna. I forget what it was called. Yeah, I do um, too. But it's been in the comics before. She Hulk had a bunch of yes. stuff with them and the idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, and I think that's kind of neat. If you I guess Owen Wilson was cast in that show, and I was in. <laughs> I was in a conversation. There's a couple people I talked to on Twitter that were talking about him being balder, which, uh, but I was like, no, no, I'm calling it right now. Owen Wilson is going to be Laffy. And, uh, and they were like, what? That's such a waste. And I'm like, I disagree. And I'm like, <laughs> take this very, very real panel from War of the Realms. And I had photoshopped out the dialogue from War of the Realms. And it's the scene from War of the Realms where Laffy eats Loki. And, uh, um... I had photoshopped in him saying, like, wow, <laughs> this is crazy. I can't believe this is happening. Like, you know, and I'm like, the part was written for him. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the thing I'm the thing I'm most curious about. Absolutely. Uh, I know. Yeah. Are we talking WandaVision now? Yeah. So my my feeling has been since they first released those teaser images of WandaVision where it was a sitcom kind of thing. I'm like, Wanda's going crazy. Yeah. And given, given like the sitcom, the sitcom pastiche in general might not be enough to suggest that, but then also the fact that it's skipping through eras. Um, skipping through eras and then combining them as well. Like there's, there's the one where, so we do an establishing shot of them in like a Dick Van Dyke or uh, Lucy. Some Lucy or something like that, uh, black and white. And then two, two or three screen cuts later, we go back to Vision in the same costume, black and white. But and then an image, the panel, that's not the right word. The camera shifts and you see Wanda in her like Infinity War street clothes mm -hmm. and it's oh shit um and then not to mention but during like the full house 90s sitcom section mm -hmm. uh not the 70s she's pregnant in the 70s sitcom area mm -hmm. and then in the twins and then twins in the full house and like i'm the only i mean i watched i was at home with my girlfriend there was nobody there but like i know i'm the only one in a 16 mile or how far away do you live? Six mile radius. Who's like, who was like, oh shit, as soon as I saw the twins, because that is a bad fucking sign. Right. Um, if you know anything about the comics and you see those twins, you're just like, oh, oh shit. Yeah. Um, so my, my feeling is because, 
So Doctor Strange 2 is going to be, mm-hmm. which we'll lead into that here in a second. Uh, Doctor Strange 2 is into the multiverse of madness, and Scarlet Witch is in it. Yeah, she's actually based, depending on who you listen to, she's either in it or features prominently. Like, And so my feeling is that WandaVision is going to lead into Doctor Strange 2. Um, I guess, I guess Falcon and Winter Soldier is August and WandaVision is December of this year. And WandaVision got... This is the most recent I saw. Okay, what was it? Which of them got delayed first? Because they've been having to do a lot of schedule balancing, like Marvel Disney has been doing, having to do a lot of schedule balancing because... They made such a big commitment at Comic-Con in 2019 about how the Disney Plus shows are going to be integrated into the MCU. Like, right. Not you have to watch them, but they are part of this. Not right. like S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, Runaways or any of that, where it's like, eh, kind of. <laughs> um, or the Netflix shows, where it's like, sure, they're referenced. They reference, um, they reference like, the Battle of New, New York, York, but honestly, meh. Um, they, they are going to be a part of it. And if it's like, if WandaVision is seriously setting up a House of M kind of thing that Strange has to fix. And not House of M. House of M's bad, but a bad solution. But like, whatever her madness is, whatever her, whatever she's going through, if it starts leaching outside of her brain and affecting the world around her. Which then I it, think is what's going to, because... We haven't really gotten, we haven't really established what Wanda's powers are uh-huh. in the MCU. We know she can fuck with people's heads, and we know she has, like, telekinesis. Beyond that, it's kind of just vague red shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, also, I could see one of the other theories I see flying around that I'm like, slow your roll is that they could use whatever's happening in WandaVision and then whatever happens in Doctor Strange 2 as a, this is how we get the mutants and the and the FF into here. And the FF can just... The FF can just show up. Like, uh, I don't know why the hell we have to make that a problem. They could just... You could just do an FF movie next week and it'd be fine. Yeah. Um, maybe... Yeah, that's easy. Doom's hard. No, it's not. Not really. No. Anyway, uh, I just don't want to... Uh, personally, I don't want another goddamn origin FF movie. Like, skip that part. That's the only part that I'm like... If you want to bring in a multiverse so that I don't have to watch another FF origin, I'm fine. Yeah. Anyway, the... Bringing the mutants in is the more, is the thing that I've seen most like, this is our fan theory about why Doctor Strange and WandaVision is important, is is because it's the gateway into a multiverse. Maybe there was already a multiverse where there weren't superheroes, but there were mutants. And we combine the two, crisis style, and hooray. Um, The one thing I will say. I don't like this idea at all. One thing I will say about pro FF origin. Oh, okay. 
<clears throat> is that the first FF movie came out when people generally didn't give a shit. Okay? Um, the first Fantastic Four movie made enough to get a sequel, but it wasn't a runaway hit mm -hmm. like Spider-Man or X-Men were. Or even Blade. Or even Blade. Um, Blade had the benefit of being made for 20 bucks. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but the... But, yeah. So a whole lot of people who follow the MCU did not see the first Fantastic Four movie with Yoan Griffith as Reed. Um, <clears throat> so for a lot of people, their only exposure to the FF's origin is fanforstic. And I would understand if they did an origin just to wash fanforstic out of people's mouths, as it were. Uh, what about the one with Chris Evans as Johnny? That's the one I was talking okay. about with Yoan Griffith as... Yoan, that, I can Ray never Griffith. pronounce his fucking name. It's Yoan Griffith. Okay. I know it, I know it's Griffod, <laughs> okay. but it's, it's, it's I, Welsh. It's I, Welsh. I look at his name and I'm like, the whole name, and I want it to be... I, there's not enough R in the way that you just pronounced it in the first name. Yoan? I don't know. How, it It's I-O-A. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I-N, I think? Yeah. And so in Welsh, uh, if you follow an I with like an O or an A, it's Ya. Oh, okay. So, like, um, for example, on uh, on Torchwood, there's Yanto. His name is spelled I-A-N-T-O. Yanto. Oh, that also explains why Sorcia. Yeah. So, Yoan okay. is his first name. And then the Grafad is, is two Ds mm -hmm. is th okay. in Welsh. So, yeah, it's pronounced Griffith. Okay. Um, anyway. All right. So, Sam, Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah, all of that to say, uh, hooray, Sam Raimi, possibly directing... Um, yeah. He's as in, of taping. He's in talks yeah. to take over because Scott Derrickson stepped away yeah. from uh, from Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness. And see, I'm I, I love Sam Raimi. I love Sam Raimi in as much as like Army of Darkness and sure. yada yada yada. Um Dark Man. Fucking dark man. Right. Um, his Spider-Man movies are admittedly a mixed bag. I would categorically say Spider-Man 2 is one of my all-time favorite comic book movies. But it does have problems. Even in... And that's what I was saying before we started was that even... It is good. It is great. It's the best villain usage of a sympathetic villain in... Almost all of the comic book movies that we've had since. Um, yeah, he's the Alfred only one that Molina's Doc Ock is, is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, but you're it's Alfred Molina, you know. That's it. Um, so it's Alfred Molina in a uh, Sam Raimi movie. So yeah. you're not you're gonna get good. 
Um, it, but even in then, it has tone and pacing problems. Um, I understand, like I was saying before, I understand like a lot of the camp is on purpose. I get what they're going for, but it's there. It's bumpy in spots. It is, and the the subway fight is a mess. The subway fight is a mess in a lot of ways. For one thing, the physically impossible uh, throw. Yeah. Um, for another, because if you've if you've not if you don't know what I'm talking about, so there is there is a scene where they're fighting on top of the train. Uh, Doc Ock grabs Spider Man and throws him. In the direction of the front of the train. Meaning that Spider-Man's velocity at that point in time is greater. Is the speed of the train plus, plus whatever velocity from the throw. Right. Spider-Man gets thrown. There's a walkway. He twists his body to go through the slats of the walkway. And then somehow winds up. Behind Dr. Octopus, who whips around and is like, what? And then he hits him. That is in every way impossible. That plus the, you know, the scene where he stops the train and all of the New Yorkers are just like, you know, protecting him and blah, blah, blah. It's very nice. It's also schlocky. Oh, and, yeah. uh... Movie Spider-Man is really, really bad about his secret identity. <laughs> um, <laughs> so here's the thing that I just thought of involving Sam Raimi. So Scott Dickerson... Derrickson. Derrickson left the project amicably, so we're told. He's still EP. Um, left the directing of the project due to, uh, his words, creative differences. Right? That's what he said in the tweet. I don't know that I want Sam Raimi back into a project where there's already recorded creative I agree. problems because that's how you get Spider-Man 3. I agree. I agree. And I agree. I, I, I don't know why I feel like I'm the only one because Nerdist did a thing that were like, Spider-Man, Sam Raimi is going to direct fucking... Ah, this is fantastic. Everyone thinks so. And I wanted to raise my hand and be like, I do not think so. I I am... I am... I am not that excited. I am torn. Because on the one hand, Sam Raimi! Yeah. On the other hand, yeah. Like, we're talking the MCU. The MCU. Like, you thought there was studio interference in Spider-Man oh. 3. Like, we're talking the MCU, which takes you know, talented indie directors and shoehorns them into the MCU style. And, you know, it's one of those things. It has resulted in a bare minimum of quality, but it also means that you wind up with, like, situations like Edgar Wright in Ant-Man yeah. or what have you. And your quality, yeah. and, like, your quality, anybody's... I think I don't have as big a problem with like the bare minimum quality in the MCU. It means they're always going to be at least good. That's what I'm saying. And yeah. And that's 
I'm okay with that, with sacrificing great for at least good, because all of the movies that are connected feel connected. Like, there is a, a something that happens in Winter Soldier feels and has impact in Infinity War, that feels connective and, and right, right? It doesn't... It doesn't feel like a stretch. Now, again, you know, when you're making movies over going to be 20 years or whatever, you can kind of drop some things and pick some other stuff up or whatever. And they've which done, they've, which they've done, which yeah. they've done. Um, it's just that cohesion throughout all the movies is only is only possible if you have a bit of a death grip on yeah. what's going on. Now, having said that. We're kind of at the beginning of a thing now. So if they want to get a little weird, here's where you do it. Yeah, it's... So I can see being a little excited, I guess. it's It's like a relationship. Yeah. You work, you build trust. Yeah. You start figuring out what each other likes. And only then do you start getting weird with it. And it, because know, we're at a me, new, we're at a significantly new phase after Endgame. You can get a little weird now, right? You've a you've earned it. B because we're also starting a new story, ostensibly, right? Overarching story, probably. <laughs> Fuck knows what Eternals is going to be, but they because you're doing that, like you get a little more license, and you yeah. can maybe give Sam Raimi a little more rope, and. The fact that Sam Raimi is a is a Silver Age geek, uh, I'm cool with Silver Age style Doctor Strange. Yeah, you know, uh, get some nightmare in there. Fuck yeah! That's the thing um, that I was immediately thinking about was like, if you put Nightmare in with Doctor Strange in that movie, even if it's been like you know any of the times I've seen Nightmare so far, it's been like. Nightmare was behind it all, but we only saw him for two pages or three panels on two pages, and I'd be like, "Yep, that's perfect." Yeah, because that's dragged me to hell, right? Yeah. Okay, we should talk about comics at least yeah. a little this hour. <laughs> okay, and uh, before we begin with the comics, I do want to mention we're doing something new with the audio this week. Uh, it is a it is a learning curve in some of this shit. So, uh, if it sounds kind of wonky, bear with us. Um, we are in the, in the past few weeks since Max moved back, uh, to Kansas City, we have been recording in the same room using separate audio files, and then I put them together. However, because they're, because the microphones are attached to different computers, they have different clock speeds. And that's why in past episodes, there have been issues with the audio getting slightly off. Bleeding. Yeah. Uh, we are now trying it with both mics hooked up to the same computer, but it's wibbly because of audacity and blah, blah, blah. So, like I said, bear with us. I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, but anyway, so... Uh, Doctor Strange, 
Master of the Mystic Arts, number 16, is written by Steve Englehart, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Tom Palmer, colored by Tom Palmer, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Um, Strange and Clea, after disappearing at the end of the last episode, or at last issue, uh, well, I guess I was the last issue of the last episode, whatever, uh, are now trapped in hell um, with Satan being all, ha, 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 you're mine now. I, I own you. I am. You're, you're done fucked up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and this I will say this issue is frustrating in a number of ways. Uh, because it's just, it's a whole lot of yeah. Doctor Strange walking along and being like, oh no, a thing. And then being like, uh, I'm in hell. I can't trust anything I see. And then trusting whatever he sees and then getting trapped and then fighting his way out. It's, yeah, it's it really is, frustrating. It is essentially that over and over again. Um, like, he gets lured into a bog by what is ostensibly the essence of the earth and oh no it's actually satan he gets dragged down okay over and all that over and over again yeah all of this is working toward the goal of getting him to get over the fact that he's the only one who didn't die when Eternity reset the universe. Right. Doctor Strange is the only real boy. Yeah. Uh, and he's explained that to a couple of his friends and also Clea, who... Clea was in the middle of having her mind break when he was explaining to the, her this to her last issue when Satan took them. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a long walk to get us to... Well, does it really matter? And yeah. he's finally gets to the point where he's like, "Well, I guess not." And that's I mean, and that's how he overcomes. This is Satan. this is the teleporter problem. This is yeah, the exactly. Problem. I mean, it is, and you kind of have to be like, "Well, you can have an existential crisis about it," or. And I mean, it's comics. If you're going to have an existential crisis every time. The world is destroyed and, and recreated. <laughs> like, you're just, you're going to wind up in, in the nuthouse. And it, it's just, you gotta, you gotta, you know, the the best example of this is the Louis C.K. thing. And I hate to bring it up, but it was, it was really brilliant about like the, uh, you know, his daughter finding out about... Not that I'm saying Louis C.K. is brilliant. I'm saying his daughter is. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, uh, he's explaining to her, uh, you know, she asks, like, was the sun always there? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, will it always be there? And he's like, well, no, someday it's going to explode. And she's like, what? And he's like, well, no, 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 no. That will happen only, like, way in the future after you and everyone you know <laughs> has been dead a really long time. And she's like, what? 
and he's like scrambling to, and she just she takes it in. She's like he's like you know she just found out she's gonna die. Everyone she knows is gonna die. They're gonna be dead a really long time, and then the sun's gonna explode. And she just goes, ah, okay. <laughs> I guess I'll I guess I'll go play. <laughs> You know, and that's the that's the way you have to approach it is just full blown, just like, okay, huh, all right, all well, right. And I love how everyone else. Well, so the other two guys, Fife and Rama Khalif, Rama Khalif, when he tells them, they're basically like, huh. Well, I don't feel any different. Do you? And they're no, and they're like, okay. They both basically are like, they understand, they can approach the cosmic importance that Doctor Strange is operating in on a regular basis, right. and their reaction to it is, alright, I mean, I guess that sucks for you to know, but we're okay, and yeah. everyone's okay. Yeah. Um, Maybe don't spread this around, because there are some people who aren't going to be able to handle it. They're not as piped in yeah like, yeah that's one thing i've got to give i've got to give fife and khalif credit they they are they are not operating on the same level as dr strange but they have like they they've dipped their toe into that world so they understand like huh all right okay whatever man like yeah. you know but so Wong Wong tells Fife and Rama Khalif about what happened, and Fife and Rama Khalif are just like, "Well, we have to prepare an exorcism," and it's a waste of time. Like they're not they're not going to be able to stop Satan. Yeah. Um, also, there is no manifestation of Satan in the house right. that they are actually excising. But the what it does do is because they're in hell and because. Uh, Strange is already connected to the universe in such a way that he actually hears them attempting something, trying to help in some way from the other side. Yeah. And he's like, that again drags him out of his woe is me and is like, okay, there are people who are willing to attempting to help me accomplish goals, even if they're idiots and they're not actually going to do much, but whatever. They're there for me. That's important. Right. Okay. So, then we're confronted by... Mandarin. James Mandarin. Yeah, that's his name. And he's like, you gotta just chill, man. You're gonna stay here with me and help serve Satan, right? And Strange is like, no. No, I'm, no, not, I'm, I'm not definitely doing not doing that. Well, I'm going to get Clea from the pyre she's... Or the spire she's chained to, and I'm leaving. And he's like... You can't do... The Mandarin's like, you can't do that. I already told him you were going to stay. And he's like, I'm sorry to disappoint you. You shouldn't... You, you shouldn't... Should, you don't... You shouldn't you have don't made... tell somebody that somebody else is going to stick around. That's not your call to make. No. That's the height of rudeness. It really is. It's incredibly gauche. Um, so, there's a couple more Satan lies. 
when Strange makes the breakthrough about, A, it doesn't matter that everybody had already died. You know, he makes that breakthrough. He makes the breakthrough. He finally gets it through his semi-thick skull that Satan's just gonna keep lying to him. And saves Clea and extricates themselves from hell. Uh, Jimmy Mandarin is also removed. Yeah. Um, kind of against his will. He he was cool with staying in hell and serving Satan. Uh, but nope, he gets to come back too. And that's pretty much where we end it. Um, yeah. And then things get weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Doctor Strange number 17. Uh, we, we start, we start back in the real world and James Mandarin has stolen, having found himself back on earth in, uh, Strange's sanctum. He steals a bunch of books and legs it and Strange and Clea stop him and erase his memory of the past couple of days. Um, and then he's just free to, you know, go about his, go about his shit. And, uh, so. And at that point, one of the cop, the copy of one of the books is a work called the new Atlantis, or a copy of new Atlantis, which is apparently a, an extremely rare manuscript written by Francis Bacon. I don't know if this is real. It might be. Um, Clea, seemingly out of the blue, is like, what is Bicentennial? It is real? Okay. Cool. It's also really incomplete. Oh, neat. But the, the, thing, the thing that I like about this issue and the ones following it, is we do start to see the cracks in Clea and Strange's relationship. Uh, in as much as she's just like, you know, I know you've got really important stuff to do, but I'm a woman. Yeah. I have needs. Yeah. And he's just like, well, I know that. Um, but then he continues to act like a sexless lego man um and it's just like dude dude white haired beauty yeah all about that jock like come on man uh five and rama khalif announced that they're leaving and strange is like i'm really i have been a terrible host you do not need to leave and they're like no it's just it's time for us to move on um clea asks what the bicentennial is um and that plus the fact that mandarin stole um the copy of new atlantis is what makes strange go okay let's go on a little trip through time so they leave uh, they leave the present and travel back in time to London in the year 1618. They go into a bar. They meet Francis Bacon. 
and uh, they they do a little they do a little skullduggery because Bacon it, it turns out Bacon is in this like society, um, and he. It's a secret society, so they can't just come out and be like, hey, we'd like to talk to you about that society you're in. The magic one? Did everybody get that? The one that dabbles in dark philosophies? Um, Anyone? And so uh, Bacon's like, come to my house at this time. And so they go to leave. They're attacked by some dudes. Um... But Strange drives them off. But it, Strange realizes that they know who he is. Yeah. Um, they. He realizes that someone twigged to there being another Sorcerer Supreme in 1618 when there really should not. Yeah. So they go to Bacon's house and they're like talking. And in the, in the process of this, Bacon gives... Strange, the manuscript to the second part of New Atlantis. Uh, New Atlantis, it turns out, is this utopian ideal that Bacon wrote about. Uh, the ostensibly, according to this, the first part describes the society. The second part describes how the society functions and what actually goes into making it work. Um, and this is the, the second part is the part that's been missing. And if it didn't, maybe things would be better and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Whatever. But he's um, acting like a book collector more than anything else. Like it doesn't seem yeah. like he's going to use this second part of the manuscript for anything other than I've got one. Yeah, that, that's that's genuinely the way he, he acts. But, you know, I mean, Doctor Strange is ostensibly a good guy. Like, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna try and make the world better, but I don't know, whatever. So So they talk about like what the second part of this new Atlantis has to do with America because we're still so far in the past and Clea's like or er, Strange is describing, having read the manuscript now, he's describing what's in it, and it's like, this is how Utopia is structured, you know, in Francis Bacon's mind. Um, and she's like, that doesn't sound like the America I've been, I've seen at all. And he's like, well, mistakes were made. Um, but it could have been. And she's like, okay. Like, there's, there's this really... There's this part where they kind of introduce a let's talk about what America is in 1976. Yeah. And we don't get... They almost start to do it and don't get to because they're attacked. <laughs> that's, that's what's funny about a lot of this story is that it, it is. We're supposed to be exploring like the heart and soul of America. But we keep getting distracted with this bullshit about this other, this other sorcerer named Stigaro. Uh, who his, he and his forces attack Strange as they're talking about New Utopia or New Atlantis. And in the process, the manuscript is destroyed. But, uh, in the end, when, uh, 
when Strange tells Francis Bacon, I'm really sorry, the manuscript was destroyed. Bacon is like, it's okay. I never planned to release the second part of the manuscript. And Strange is like, what? And Francis Bacon's like, nope, that's just how I roll. Anyway, I'm off to America. Um, so, yeah. So, Doctor Strange number 18 is colored by, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Denise Wall. Uh, so, they say goodbye to Francis Bacon. Bacon is just like, well, it was nice to meet you. I'm sure the future is a wonderful place, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they then skip ahead to the year 1775. Uh, in London still. In London, and they go to board a ship. Um, and it turns out to be the ship that is bringing Benjamin Franklin, uh, back to the U.S. <clears throat> they get on board, they meet Franklin, uh, Stigaro at one point attacks the ship, uh, with a sea monster, and Strange intervenes, um, and, uh, <laughs> So this is the this is the thing that I find funny. Uh, so he he drives Stigaro away the first time. Then they wind up in the where there's like this weird trench in the middle of the ocean. And so Strange uses his magic to stop the ship. Everybody else on the ship is suddenly missing. Strange goes to investigate this massive hole in the ocean. And while he's gone, Clea and Franklin are, like, talking and drinking. Uh, if you do not know this, Ben Franklin was a stone-cold pimp. Yeah. Uh, like... Seduction genius. Right, like Ben Franklin got more pussy than the ASPCA, yeah. Um, and uh, it is it is something. So he fucks Clea, um, while Doctor Strange goes down and uh, he um, he fights a sea monster with the face of Stigaro in these ruins on the. Bottom, on the floor of the ocean, uh, manages to drive Stigaro away. The ocean comes crashing back in. Uh, he surfaces, at which point Clea and Franklin are on a boat to meet him. And he is immediately just like, okay, something's changed around here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, bro. Ben Franklin just fucked your girlfriend. You left your girlfriend alone with Ben Franklin. That was a mistake. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so that brings us to Doctor Strange number 19, which is written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Alfredo Alcada, uh, inked by Alfredo Alcada, colored by Michelle Wolfman, and lettered by Alfredo Alcada. Um, we get this weird thing all of a sudden. With this dude, Xander, uh, oh, yeah. who is, like, begging to be allowed to go and destroy Doctor Strange. 
Um, yeah. Uh, and they're just like, hmm, we don't think it's time yet. Let us just wait and see what happens. Whatever. So we then switch to Philadelphia. And uh, Doctor Strange is out. <laughs> he's out flying around and a bunch of people are just like, oh my God, a flying guy. And he's just like, Whoops. oh my God, I can't let there be reports of a flying guy in 1775. I better change into an eagle. So he changes into an eagle and like the people on the ground are just like, huh. Could have swore that was a man. I could have sworn that was a flying guy. <laughs> I don't know how I did, how I mistook an eagle for a man in flight, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, so he gets back to Franklin's house and he's just like, you know, things have been really weird. So he uses the eye of Agamotto and sure enough, Clea and Franklin are getting the fuck down. So Strange, I don't know, Strange, this is the first time we really see Strange acting in this period. Um, acting like he really gives a shit about Clea. Because, you know, when he first met her, it was just like, Clea, Clea, Clea. Yeah. And then she came to live on Earth, and he's just like, oh, you're still here? I guess you, That's can, cool. I guess you can be my apprentice, I guess, and if I you mean, want. We'll, we'll throw down when I want to, but by and large, like, I've got to study the mysteries of the cosmos. And uh, that is... That is mostly a solitary affair. That is my life as Sorcerer Supreme. And so this is... In the course of this, he's like raging and then he's just like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, this is... This is what she wants. Whatever. Um, uh, but then she he goes in there and they're just like, oh, there you are. We were wondering... Uh, we're going to get married. And he's just like, nope. And like, bless Franklin. Uh, it turns out this Franklin wasn't Ben Franklin after all. It was actually Stigero. Yeah. And that has maybe always been the There's like some... So he she definitely... Was with Ben Franklin on the boat because Stigero was fighting Strange at the time. Since there was no, a that swap, was, that was not Franklin. Okay, that was also Stigero. That's my understanding. Okay, yes. it's always been Stigero because I, I was confused about that, and so I looked at the Marvel wiki, and it was saying that the only actual Franklin was the Franklin in flashbacks that. Even when they met him on the boat, that was Stigero. Oh, okay. I don't know. Whatever. So, Stigero's... Having been found out, Stigero's pissed. I will say, the reason Strange realizes that there's something going on... He was not trying to kill Ben Franklin. <laughs> yeah. He, he realized something was going on because he realized the date. And he realized that the actual Ben Franklin was at... The Second Continental Congress. Yeah, it was overtaking part in the Second Continental Congress, and this could not be the real Ben Franklin. Um, <clears throat> so, um, 
they then they have um they have a wizard off and yeah it's it's really so Stigero causes the ground to crack and all this shit strange is able to put it back together um but the um yeah Stigero is ostensibly defeated at which point strange contacts the ancient one and is just like what the fuck's going on the ancient one's like tests man tests it's all tests um and strange is just like man fuck this um and so uh ancient one offers him the opportunity to ascend and become part of the universe and strange is just like no at which point the ancient one is just like well that's that's why you're that's getting the next step. That's why you become Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, that that and that's also why you keep getting tested is because you haven't just ascended with me, right? Yeah. Like And so as a result of this, Strange is actually stripped of the title of Sorcerer Supreme. Uh and so he returns. They say goodbye to the actual Ben Franklin. And then she uh Clea and Strange return to the present day uh we get this thing with xander at the end uh and they're just like yeah i guess you can destroy uh strange um oh wait i forgot about all this yeah there's so much more it feels (sighs) like we already did a lot but okay so xander gets permission from whatever shadowed council he's serving to go to Doctor Strange's time as well, like that's mentioned, time and place, and start destroying shit. So when they get back from 1775 to the present, he's, or to 1976, everything is skeletons, everyone is dead, um, and then the skeletons come to life. Because really, if, if you are ever in a situation where everything's skeletons, chances are they're going to come. They're going to come to life. You should assume. Yeah. Um, That's what skeletons do. Either skeletons all just lay there being dead. Yeah. Or they all just get up and try to kill you. Uh, they get up and try to kill him with magic, which is a twist. Uh, Strange destroys them and turns around and fears that, or finds that even Clea now has been turned into a skeleton. This is when he gets stripped of the title. Right. And he resets. God, how did this end? The Ancient One's just like, okay, well, whatever. I've got to I've got to get to my weekly poker game with God. Peace. Everything is returned to normal. Uh like either it was never skeletons or whatever. Yeah. The point is Tur- turns out none of this was Xander's fault. He was never here. This was all again more testing by the ancient one. Yeah, this whole okay, whatever. Anyway, Strange is just like nope. 
bye. And the Ancient One's like, all right, power, bye. And Clea and Strange return to the Sanctum. Uh, I guess this means since, uh, since he is no longer the Sorcerer Supreme and no longer has to walk that lonely road, uh, that means he's going to have more time to throw her the D. That's, um, that's what it's implied in the last panel. <laughs> there yeah. are needs that it needs a woman has that only a man can satisfy. Yeah. Which, so... That's lofty. <sighs> these issues were fucking all over the place, man. Yeah. And not in that, like, so goofy, it's... Fun. Not like Engelhart's run on Defenders. Like, there was a lot there that we could really make fun of. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you had Melf the Elf and, like, all this other shit where it was just like, yeah, okay, Nighthawk's brain is a, in a jar and this other dude's brain is in a deer. Uh, this is just, like, super dour. Yeah, and, and disconnected. So, uh, I think it should be mentioned, though, that Clea. Yes, it wasn't Bill Cl- or Bill Clinton, <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. You know, admittedly, but she, she didn't know that. Yeah, and I assume. That Stigero, being a master magician, would have copied Franklin down to the, like, minor details. Sure. So Clea now has intimate knowledge of Ben Franklin's whole body. And that is... Yeah. That is knowledge you you don't get rid of easily. Anyway... X-Men number 96 is written by Chris Claremont and Bill Mantlo, uh, penciled by Dave Cockrum, inked by Sam Granger, colored by Phil Rachelson, lettered by Dave Hunt, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Um, we are we are still dealing with the fallout over Thunderbird's death. I'm trying to remember whether Thunderbird can now be brought back. Uh, after House of X and Powers of X? Yeah. Or Powers of Ten? Uh, because... I don't they need his genetic material? Genetic material doesn't seem to be the issue, because, uh... Because they have, there has not been a point at which Sinister has not had the genetic material they needed. Okay. Thus far, they've been able to bring back fucking everybody. Sync from Generation X is back. Ostensibly, so is Skin, um, though he hasn't shown up. He's just mentioned in one of the uh, random like logs yeah. in the. Um, they actually mention poor Skin. Poor Skin. Skin was brought back specifically to help Sync adjust. That is the only reason given for why they brought back skin. But anyway, so it's possible Mr. Sinister wouldn't have 
Thunderbird's genetic material. My concern is whether or not at this point in time Xavier would have started collecting uh, Cerebro patterns for everybody. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm curious, though, because Thunderbird, barring Chaos War, is one of the few characters that has actually remained dead. dead. Um, but anyway, Cyclops is... Uh, Cyclops is... Kicking processing. The sh- well, he's kicking the shit out of himself for being a bad leader because he lost a guy. Yeah. And this will be... Get used to that. Um, that's going to be Scott Summers for the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, until he just goes ape shit. So he lets loose on the woods to try and, like, you know, in a fit of passion and peak, he blasts into the open woods and is just like, nah, no. Uh, and happens to hit a an obelisk of some kind that was out in the middle of this the forest near the uh, museum, right? Or museum, the mansion, <clears throat> releasing something. Right. There's there's a mist. We don't know really what's what. Um, we then switch to the mansion where there's a danger room. Uh, a danger room session going on. Uh, Wolverine gets kind of tossed around by Storm. Uh, it seems to which... be Wolverine psycho- or Wolverine versus Storm, Colossus, and Nightcrawler. Right. Which is... I mean, I know it's Wolverine, but that's still a pretty stacked deck. At this point in time, yes. And, you know, as time passes... And Wolverine becomes basically uh, Marvel's Superman, which is to which is to say, the only thing Wolverine can't do is anything he hasn't tried. Right. Um, yeah. At this point in time, it's a stacked deck. But uh, Nightcrawler laughs at Wolverine, at which point Wolverine straight tries to murder him, uh, and they're just like. Knock it off. What the fuck is the matter with you? And he's just like, best of what I do, bub. <laughs> and uh, so there is a, there is a, uh, a, not a, the doorbell rings. Yeah. And so Banshee goes off to answer it. And we are introduced to Moira McTaggart. Uh... My daughter's namesake. Um, kind of. Um, but Banshee, of course, is falling all over himself, just being like, Oh, uh, hello. Oh, that's uh, another Irish person. Um, <laughs> or no, wait, she's Scottish. She's Scottish. She's got, it's somebody but else from the, uh, from the Isles. just like, hey. Hey. How's it going? Um, so we then switch... To uh, Project Armageddon, uh, where Doctor Stephen Lang is uh, having a having a bit of a fit because his friend Michael Rossi um, is just like, "Yeah, you're fucking losing it." And when I get back to Washington, 
I'm going to recommend they shut this place down because you have full-blown lost the thread. And uh, Lang is just like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I guess we're just going to have to make sure you don't get back alive. Um, so, yeah. And uh, he's Project Armageddon is to prepare man for the coming man-mutant war, um, which Lang is convinced is nigh. Because gonna have a race war. And because Bolivar Trask clearly knew what was up, and that's why they had him killed. Yeah. Which, so, yeah, he's crazy. Yep. Um, switch back to the mansion. We're all, everybody's meeting Moira. And having hellos. When Charles uh, announces that he's taking a sabbatical. Or vacation, really. Right. And that's why Moira's here, is to keep watch over you kids. Yeah. Um, it really is, it's kind of It's kind of easy to forget how many of the X-Men are pr- pretty goddamn young. Um Banshee was significantly de-aged for his addition to the uh, new X-Men. But, you know, even Wolverine was supposed to be pretty young. Yeah, he's only supposed to be, like, at most 20 here. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's not supposed to be an old guy. Uh, It's only when they actually design a face for him that they're just like, Oh yeah, no, he's not a kid. Um, Colossus is supposed to be like 17 at most. Uh, Nightcrawler is like indeterminate, but definitely childlike. Yeah, he's... These are... These people are all... They're much like the original X-Men in that they're maybe teen, late teens. uh, Most of them. Uh, Yeah. So... Yeah, it makes sense that, you know, Professor Xavier would not leave them by themselves. Um, But everybody's reacting to Xavier's announcement, and we'll find out next issue why he's saying that he needs a break. Um, But suddenly there is the sound of Cyclops blasting something, and then he comes flying through the wall. Uh... Followed immediately by this big demon. Um, Kirok. Right. They, uh... The Shatterer of Souls, the Slayer of Men, the Damned. Yeah. Kirok the Damned of the Ngarai. Um, The Ngarai, if you've never had occasion to read uh, the Claremont Ears... They are a a race of demons created by the god Cthon. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know if we ever really address why there's this random, ob- like, I believe they call it a cairn. Uh, yeah, they do call it a cairn, but that's not what a cairn is. Um, but we never really establish why this thing is on the grounds of the mansion. No, not in this story. Other than... Because it is. Um, yeah. And so, the X-Men take their turns, like, trying to wail on this thing. 
Moira shows up with a goddamn shotgun, which, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, ultimately it is Wolverine that manages to really hurt it and seemingly kills it. Um, but then, like, uh, it pulls itself back together. Um Xavier goes to mind probe the thing to try to find out what the hell is going on with it and is almost consumed. Yeah, he is absolutely assaulted by yeah. this thing. Um, they, well, no, Moira's got an, uh, like a, an AR-10, some sort of assault rifle right. from fucking nowhere. I yeah. assume she had it in her bag. Well, there's, okay, that does say armory on the door here, but... Everybody attacks it some more. Storm goes after it. Um, and Which, the fact that this school has an armory makes it clear. This is, <laughs> Like, the fact that this is a school is a goddamn lie. <laughs> like, this place is and always has been a, a recruitment and training facility for an army. Yes. You know, yes, it's an army to be used ostensibly in the service of mankind, but... Yeah. Storm goes after this thing and is beset by several other smaller bad things when she sees the the obelisk and but just oh actually this is kind of cool because this is she gets surrounded by a lot of these little demon things and we get a couple of flashbacks to when Aurora was in Egypt and she her parents died her parents died and she gets trapped under the rubble in that building and as that image comes into her head she freaks the fuck out and blasts the obelisk with lightning which i didn't realize that um being like a really cool slow burn lead in into her claustrophobia yeah which (laughs) that's cool as shit I was laughing about it because I introduced Moira to the 90s X-Men cartoon. The 90s cartoon is far less subtle oh, about yes. it. Because the 90s cartoon, it's just like, Storm's claustrophobia is front and center it's like for everything. Episode 1 and, and 2. And, like, I mean, it's literally like you have several different episodes in a row... Uh, where she's like in the sewers, then she's in Genosha and gets locked in the solitary confinement box, uh, and she's losing it, and like on and on and on, and it's just kind of like, did you know Storm's a claustrophobe? Well, if you didn't, you're about to. Yep. And and I always find it funny because in this, it's it's full blown claustrophobia, which is to say, like. Slightly more realistic in that it is actually stuff pressing in on her. Like, in the cartoon, like, if Storm were in a room the size we're in, she would be flipping the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, Every time she goes on the Blackbird, she should be like, I will be free! (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, once the the thing, whether it's an obelisk, a cairn... A uh, tasteful decoration, uh, whatever it may be, is destroyed. 
then Kirok the the damned screams and turns to dust. And the X-Men are all just kind of like, shit. That was weird. Um Oh, yeah, now I understand. A uh, final epilogue of the story is that uh the Mike Michael Rossi Rossi character that we met with Dr. Lang his helicopter or plane went down. Yeah. Outside is, of Red He Earth. is presumed dead here. He's not. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, in current continuity, he is dead. But he didn't die until, like, maybe ten years ago. Uh, not back in the 70s. Um, so, yeah. Uh, this issue... This issue was... Not bad. It's not my favorite of the early stories of the new X-Men. The one I'm really excited for is 98. Because um, that issue is just kind of a lot of fun. Uh, Which one's that? That is the Return of the Sentinels. It's the one that has them oh, going yeah, to yeah. Rockefeller Center for uh, for uh, Christmas. Yes, okay. I do uh, remember that. But yeah. Not a bad issue, not my favorite, but whatever. Uh, we do, we do, like you said, get some uh, some very slow burn stuff about a few of the characters here. Moira, we clearly see there's a lot. She is not just a housekeeper. Yeah. Uh, not only, I mean, that was that was intimated in the fact that she's actually going to be in charge of the house while Xavier's gone. And, and then she's she going to, they're not making any attempt to hide who and what they are. Yeah. Like she knows. Yeah. Um, but then like, yeah, trouble starts and she goes, she suddenly runs in packing. Um, she's yeah. also familiar with heavy ordnance. So, yeah. Um, um, sorry. What? No, nothing. Okay. Uh, so X-Men number... 97 is written by Chris Claremont, lettered by Don Warfield, and lettered by Annette Kowecki. Uh, this is a big... We get... I had forgotten it was this early. I always forget that it is this early on that we get the beginnings of this stuff. Uh, we have the beginning of uh, the Lalandra stuff. We, we are introduced in a general sense... To the Shi'ar, we see a lot of their very bug-like, which is kind of it's kind of weird that so many of their ships look like insects <laughs> when, when they, they are avian. avian. Yeah, uh, in like yeah, I always um, I think I was reading this too and was like, holy shit! And then it, you, you're kind of like, I'm looking at some of this right here, yeah, and I'm like, are you kind of forget that? relatively speaking in the grand like there has been there has been a lot of x-men but a lot of that x-men like the 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 amount of mutant stories is very backloaded right so like you kind of forget that we're only three or four years which is actually like two or which is like yeah, i don't know like five or eight storylines away from the beginning of Hellfire Club. Yeah. Like, 
we're really close to Phoenix already. And well, yeah, because this is 1976. It's four years till Phoenix. And that's incredible. Yeah. Like, um, it's, it's so weird to think that so much X-Men, so much, like, pivotal foundational X-Men stuff happens so close together. And it is, and it is also funny. I, it's kind of funny how, uh, so I love X-Men. I love Claremont's run on X-Men back in the day, but it is kind of funny that after like Phoenix and stuff like that, a whole lot of nothing happens until the 90s. Until 90s. <laughs> like, yeah, a whole lot of nothing happens until X-Men launches. And even then, I was reading, I've started rereading the first, the issues of X-Men, and it's like, you got Executioner's Song, which you kind of only need a little bit of backstory for that, because Cable's already there. I don't know. It's yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Anyway, so so we get the we get the the bear Xavier is awoken with weird ass dreams of a huge like space battle and this this weird entity in a big bug eyed helmet. Uh, he wakes up screaming, and uh, you know he and he oh, and, and Moira, the, it's a uh, it's. Alleged, not alleged. This is a reoccurring dream, yeah. too. Yeah, and this is these dreams are what a what last issue caused Xavier to need to take a break anyway is because he genuinely thinks he's losing his mind. Right. Um, it is. It is interesting. You know. Coming where I'm coming from with this, it, you know, by the time, by the time I started really reading, excuse me, uh, the cosmic stuff was part and parcel of X-Men. Uh, the danger room was hard light holograms based on Shi'ar tech. Lalandra was all over the place. Phoenix was a thing. And had come and gone, uh, you know. Yeah, by the time I started reading, all the Madeline Pryor stuff was already over. Yeah. So, like, Jean was, Madeline had died and Jean had come back and they dealt with it. Like, yeah. Scott had just been like, oh, right. Like, by the time I'd read it, they were just in love again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so... You know, it is, it's really, it's really interesting to go back and now get to this point and it's just like, this is where that cosmic stuff stuff comes from. And it was just not really there uh, for a long, long time. And uh, so, yeah. And it's also cool that they're, Again, kind of a slow burn thing. Like, he's clearly got a plan. It's just that this is... Because Claremont's on X-Men forever. Yeah, he um, 
so he's clearly got an idea of because I want to get to these aliens, but I want to I want to do some other stuff first. I want to do some more sentinel things too, and so instead, I'm just going to start planting seeds about these dreams, maybe, and maybe this other mystical evil that I'll, I can deal with later if I want to. And this guy, that's the sentinel thing, is with Lang. And uh, okay, okay, okay. So it's yeah, it is crazy to be like, wow, we were we were doing aliens. Like, straight-up telepath- telepathic, actual gem of Sidorak aliens a while ago. Um, yeah. Amicron Crystal. Amicron. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. It is um, not the gem of Sidorak. Uh, so, yeah. My he, powers he, are magical! <laughs> uh, he wakes up, and, you know, he wakes up screaming, gets up, and he and Moira talk about what's going on. Uh... And she's just like, look, you need to talk to them. They need to know what's going on. And he's just like, how do I tell them that I may be going crazy? Um, and I, re- I really I really like that because, you know, the previous time that Xavier dealt with aliens, he kept it a secret because he needed to. Uh but this, it's it's a much more understandable sort of, he keeps it a secret because he doesn't know how to talk about it. He also doesn't know what's real. And he th- like you say, he thinks he's losing his mind or that his, you know, the stress has finally gotten to him. He doesn't want to damage his status as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we then switch to Rio Diablo, um, which it, I like this because this is the last place we left. Where it's Alex and Lorna, and this is where we left them in Hulk. Yeah. Um, like six months ago. I do like. I I didn't realize prior to now, Lorna has never been referred to as Polaris. This right here, this is the first time she uses the codename Polaris. Um, But Alex goes out to do stuff. Lorna is at home when there's a knock. She goes to answer it. She gets blasted and goes down. Um, Alex comes home, or, you know, Alex hears her screaming, comes racing back, and she's just like, Everything's fine. She gets a costume out of the closet, and he's like, "What are you doing? Where? What are you doing with a new costume and everything?" And this is when she refers to herself as Polaris for the first time and blasts him. At which, as he's laying on the floor, we see her and somebody else standing over him. Then we switch to JFK. Um, the X-Men are taking Professor Xavier uh, to the airport. He is getting on a plane. This is also the first time yeah. we get the image inducer um, that Kirk uses for a long, long time. Uh, here he makes himself look like Errol Flynn. Which is another thing that's great. Yeah. But uh, as they're as they're doing this... They see Havoc come walking up in costume, and they're just like, what? What are you, what's going on? 
Polaris attacks, um, and we we wind up with a full blown fight between the X Men and uh, the Havoc and Havoc Polaris. And Polaris. Um, as they're fighting, uh, <laughs> a plane that is thankfully empty. Uh, empty gets blown up. Um, and, uh, but then Eric the Red shows up and, uh, Cyclops had posed as Eric the Red once before back in X-Men number 50 something in order to infiltrate, uh, I think it was the Brotherhood. I don't know. But uh, he he posed as Eric the Red, and so when Eric the Red shows up, Cyclops is like, "But, but I'm Eric I'm... the Red." <laughs> like, no, you aren't. <laughs> you were pretending to be Eric the Red. Yeah. No um, one is actually Eric the Red. Um, everybody fights. Storm is trying to take Jean away because she's been harmed. Or because she's unconscious. Polaris blasts her, storm drops Jean, but he manages to catch her right at the last minute. At which point she's like, okay, this is, you're, you're fucked. I'm done. Um, Havoc and... And I think this might be the first time we ever see Storm change uh, the way, you know, because... Yeah. That's the... She, yeah, like, but I think this is the first, I don't recall her having done this before, where she's just, like, in normal clothes, and then there's, like, a swirling, like, whatever, and she sailor moons into her uniform. Yeah. But, uh, but so, Cyclops and Havoc battle, um, and, uh, you know, there were... There are a lot of different threads here because it's like Nightcrawler and Colossus against Eric the Red, Storm versus Polaris, uh, Cyclops versus Havoc, so on and so forth. Havoc blasts a wall which comes down on Cyclops, and it's then that Havoc is just like, oh my god, what am I doing? Uh, and digs him out. As he digs him out, uh, Scott was playing possum and knock, just cracks him in the face and knocks him out. So Havoc's down. Uh, Colossus and Nightcrawler fighting Eric the Red. Um, where Colossus was a bit further off. Nightcrawler was right up on Eric the Red. So Eric... or. Eric the Red throws Nightcrawler at Colossus, intending to hurt both of them, and uh, Nightcrawler just bamps away to someplace else behind him. And they double team again. Eventually. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Eventually, uh, Peter manages to throw a piece of landing gear into Eric the Red, where which takes him down. Um and above it all, Storm and Polaris are trying to tear the magnetosphere asunder. Um, Storm finally just goes, you know what, fuck this, I'm done. 
and just lightning from about 16 different places. Lorna goes, starts falling to the ground. Uh, Havoc loses, wakes up, sees that, loses it, blast, full on blast um, Cyclops, promising to murder him if Lorna's harmed. All in all, Eric the Red, uh, as, as that's happening, or as Avic gets to Lorna, Wolverine and Banshee arrive. So Eric the Red's like, you know what? Fuck this. We're gone. Um, and he, they to all take off. So Cly- Cyclops. Cyclops has a moment where he's like, I'd have to kill them. If I shot at him now, the only way that I could be for sure is if I full forced it and I don't want to kill Alex or Lorna. Uh, Wolverine's like, you're, you're bullshit, man. Uh, yeah. They're getting away. And Cyclops backhands him. And at that point, everything goes to hell. But... Okay, so the last I love the last panel. Which part? The last panel. Uh, The last panel is. I heard you like view screens. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Is a view screen of a view screen watching Cyclops walk away from the X Men. Yeah. The. The second view screen is do- that's Dr. Lang, not Dr. Lang. Yeah, Dr. Lang watching Cyclops, but there's also someone else watching him watch them. Uh, and it kind of looks like, is that Spider-Woman? No, I think that's Deken. Uh Oh, God. Anyway, we never really, I the thing that I was kind of confused by, unless this is just part of Eric the Red's power set, is... It looks like during the fight, I don't understand what happened to Lorna. It looks like Alex is just following Lorna's lead. But I don't know what happened to Lorna. Like, is that part of Eric the Red's power set? Is that he can bend you to your will? Uh... That is why is Lorna acting so weird? You, well, yeah, I'm I'm reasonably certain that that was Eric the Red's doing. Uh-huh. Uh, how exactly he went about it, I'm not sure. Um, shit, one sec. The. Uh, The thing about it is that uh, da, 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 da. yeah, he brainwashed them, uh, but that is <clears throat> that is to do with his armor. Uh, it is not necessarily something endemic to him. To the person inside the armor. Yeah. At the moment, who I don't know. He's just a random Shi'ar dude. Oh. What? I didn't know that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the... the I mean, I assume we'll learn that, but, like, that's... 
I didn't know that. Often. I was, couldn't remember. He was that. attacking so as to prevent the possibility of Professor Xavier, because he knew Lalandra was coming to Xavier. So, oh, so he needed he needed Xavier to stay in one place so Lalandra would know where to find him. No. Nope. Okay. He's working for Dekan. Lalandra is coming to Xavier for help, so he is there to to take Xavier out of the equation and make sure that Lalandra doesn't get the help she needs to bring down Dekan. Okay. That See? makes sense. Yay. So, all right, uh, Captain Britain number one <laughs> is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Herb Trimpey, inked by Fred Keita, colored by Marie Severin, lettered by Irving Watanabe, and edited by Larry Lieber. I do want to say, if you are unfamiliar with how Marvel UK operated, um, the... The comic books that Marvel put out in the UK were weekly, and so if you are if you are reading along, say on Marvel Unlimited, um, you will find that the the actual Captain Britain storyline story is only like eight pages. Uh, then the rest of the issue was reprints. They re in this one, in Captain Britain numbers one and two, they reprinted half a story from FF number 10 and then from Strange Tales number 159, which is the Jim Starenko, uh Nick Fury oh, that's cool. stuff. Um, and then in the second issue, they reprint the second half of it. So, uh, so yeah, it's just, it's kind of a, it's it's really weird because it it can cause strange uh, things like with the Transformers comics that they did in the eighties. It meant that you know they would put out the Transformers issues that Marvel did in the U.S., but then in addition they also had weekly stuff that was supplementary to whatever was going on in the in the monthly book from the US. So if you were a Transformers fan in the 80s, you got a lot more comics. If you lived in the UK. That the US did not get. And that's actually where Simon Furman kind of started was doing those weekly mm. Transformers comics. Anyway, uh, so we start this in media res with uh, Brian fighting... A bunch of like henchmen while a guy in armor is just standing there like you know taunting him and looking absolutely fabulous I yeah mean, he's gold armor big purple feather yeah all of it so um and it's a good fight to start with i was like wait a minute did i miss something but then you kind of realize a couple of pages afterward what's going on uh, because yeah, this guy he's fighting looks like an old school, uh, knight in gleaming gold armor with a sword. Yeah. Um, what, and he also has of... a name. <laughs> like he even knows that it's, this guy's name is Raglan, if I remember right. 
Ravager. Ravager. Yeah. Uh, the thing that's the thing that's odd here is I'm used to later Captain Britain where he's just flying super strong, whatever. I'm also somewhat used to later seventies Captain Britain where he just has like the mace, but here he has an a staff that's red, white, and blue, and it's kind of doofy. But anyway, we... I don't hate it. I don't hate it, but it's just, it's a little, like, pick a color, you know? Yeah. Like, red, white, and blue on a staff doesn't really, it just winds up looking like a bomb pop. Oh. Uh, you know, the the Captain America shield, okay, mm-hmm. like, whatever. Because you can have kind of all those colors and a design. When it's patterned on a staff, like I said, it's just chunk of red, chunk of white, chunk of blue. <clears throat> but anyway, um, so we flash back, and Brian Braddock is a pipe smoking uh, university student who is interning at a lab on Darkmoor uh, when the lab suddenly comes under attack. Uh, from this guy, Ravager, and his goons. Um, sorry, Reaver. I was thinking, I was thinking Ravager from Teen Titans. My bad. Uh, but at this point in time, Reaper just has, he's just wearing like a suit. Like he's just a guy. We'll get to that. Don't you worry. But he comes in riding this mech. (laughs) And, uh, That's like got a drill on the front of it. Yeah, it's, it's the most it's, it's the most lot. ridiculous thing. Uh, through um, dialogue, we find out that Joshua Strag, the Reaver, is attempting to destroy all the machinery in the Darkmoor facility and also kidnapped all the scientists so that he can have a monopoly on power production in the UK. Yeah, and his plan ostensibly is to destroy the facility so utterly that it will look like there was a nuclear incident. Oh, yeah. And they will just think that all of the staff were, like, vaporized. How this is supposed to work when, like, the scorch marks from a laser blast would presumably look radically different, like any... Any CSI worth their salt would look at this and just be like, no, no nuclear accident happened here. (laughs) But whatever. So Brian, you know, kind of leaps into action uh, and flees. Um, But he is... It's not so much a leap into action as it is a leap into going away. Well, it's it's funny because at the end of the... At the end of the page, you see Brian and he's just like, ha ha. But then it's just like, Oh no, it's because he's running. Yeah. Like, it looks like getting to that page, I expected it to be like, you're going to turn it and Brian will be like punching one of the goons or something. Yeah. But no, it's just him fleeing on a motorcycle. Uh, But he does not get away. He's um, followed and winds up going off the side of the cliff. Uh, it is at this point that he comes to and he is confronted by Merlin and uh, and Roma. Uh, the Lady in the Lake. Yeah. Yep. Wasn't that Roma? I don't remember. I don't know. 
Um, He's confronted by these people and they're like... He also, you know, had a motorcycle crash off the side of a cliff, so he feels like he's dying inside. Um, And he stumbles upon the Siege Perilous and meets Merlin and probably Roma. And he thinks he's dreaming as he's dying, but Merlin's like, no, you have a choice to make. The sword for... The amulet of the sword, life or death for the... Perhaps, and mayhap, for the world as well. So, yeah, we've established that there's an amulet, there's a sword, it's the Siege Perilous, this is Merlin. I actually like this first issue a lot, because it just does a lot of... The economy of storytelling is fantastic, because we do a lot of good work in, like... A very short amount. Yeah, how does Captain Britain fight? We get that right at the very beginning. How did we get to here? We get that at the half end of the half, and we're off and going. That is Roma. She is not referred to as such. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, Captain Britain number two. Um, so, you know, Captain Britain is in the Siege Perilous. He has to make this choice. Suddenly, Reaver and his men show up and... Brian makes his decision, um, and he grabs the amulet. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a, like, ah, as he's, like, overcome with everything that is happening to him. There's a lot of the, like, weird cosmic forces. Like, I didn't realize that this was set up so early in the first two issue well the first issue really because like if you know anything about captain britain shit gets weird it does later in like much much later but i did not realize that like all this cosmic energy and like interdimensional bullshit is first issue yeah um so that's cool um and he Turns into Captain Britain and uh, Strag Reaver is like, "Fuck you!" There's still a sword, and he grabs the sword and happens to be hit with another bolt of energy that turns him into the guy, the knight dude we were talking about earlier. Right. Uh, but while this is happening, Reaver's men attack Brian. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the point at which we joined the story. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so they fight and fight and fight. He's got, he introduces us to the staff and I don't hate it. Uh, but. Bumpock looking bullshit reaver can blast energy from the sword so uh but he's kind of like brian doesn't know really what's going on like he doesn't know his power he doesn't know how he knows how to do all this acrobatic bullshit but he does he doesn't know how he's able to withstand the blast that he takes from the sword but if that happens again it ain't gonna be good so we're we're doing like Again, we're doing a lot of really good work to, like, calibrate where he stands. And, uh, 
he, you know, he punches a couple of the goons and they go fucking flying. And he's like, whoa, okay. Make, remember to pull that, pull back on a couple of those. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like, like I say, it's doing good work in calibrating how powerful he actually is and what he can sustain, that kind of thing. Right. And yeah, and as we, over the course of the next few issues, uh, we will get more of a sense of where he lays in terms of power level. Uh, we do find out that like when he's Brian Braddock, he's not as big a guy yeah. as he is when he's Captain Britain. Stuff like that. But um, so they they fight and Brian realizes he's able to use the staff to deflect the blasts from Reaver's sword. Because there's like there's this interplay between the amulet and the sword that one is about the amulet is all about like force of will and the sword is about, you know, regular old violence. And uh, because so Brian basically turns his force of will against the blast as it comes in and is able to direct it back at Reaver. He goes down. I guess we're never heard. He's never heard from again. I don't know. We'll uh, see. But yeah, so he the test is over. Merlin and Rowan show back up and they're like, the test is over. You are now uh, Captain Britain. If you want to be here, you can go do good and protect the islands. Right. So. Exciting. Hooray. Uh, really, okay. for first two issues, it does. Yeah, it's and a you, good origin. Yeah. Um... It's straightforward. It tells you what you... It starts off strong with with some action right away and then says, okay, how did we get here? And then you get the origin and then you wrap it up, wrap up that first challenge. Uh, and yeah, it's it's what an origin should be, really. Yeah. Um, so then we get Captain Britain number three, which is colored by George Russo's... Um, the beginning of this is basically some dudes are robbing a bank and Brian happens to be there. So he's just like, boom, dun dun, Captain Britain. Uh, like, I think this is the first time we see how he actually changes. And it's like tapping the amulet. Uh, but that changes him into Captain Britain. And he makes short work of these of these goons. Um, he does have the element of surprise. Yeah, yeah. And they're shooting at cops out outside, so they're distracted. He manages, you know, he basically takes them out one by one in a couple of groups uh, until he gains their attention and the cops can come in from the, from the front. Every, eventually, everybody gets dispatched. Uh, we, are, we learn that these goons are in... Are, go are goons. They are employed by someone named Vixen uh, that will come up later. Well, so I was reading the, I was reading about it and Vixen Vixen actually appears for the first time in The Daredevils. Another Marvel UK series. Oh, so okay. It's just I think the idea here is to create sort of a, a shared Marvel UK 
Universe. Universe. I don't hate uh, that. And then, yeah. So, so the, co- the, the CID inspector... Die Thomas is uh, outside after the all the fighting and the, everything's mopped up and he's like okay you're coming with us i don't do this this is not new york where you have 700 different superheroes all doing their thing no no you're the only one i've seen so far you're coming with us and telling us what's up yeah. um i kind of like him that he's He's a he's supposed to be like this brustery foil where he's like no nonsense, but actually I enjoy the fact that he's like no 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 not here. Yeah. <laughs> New York is fucked constantly because of this shit. You're coming with us. Yeah. They release him later after interviewing him for like a couple hours. He goes to a pub on campus of his campus, which is Thames University, which is uh, funny because when I was in. My when I did my study abroad, my the place I went to was Tem Valley University. So I was like, ah, that's almost it. Um, and they he goes to a pub on campus, meets some people. Yeah, these are a bunch of his classmates. the The most noteworthy is Courtney. Is Courtney, who clearly has a thing for him, uh, and then his. His rival for her attentions, whose name escapes me at the moment. Jack Tanner. Jack. Fucking, yeah. And then Sandy York, who is um, a nerd. Yeah, this is your basic, like... When you need uh, an info drop, you come to Sandy. Yeah. So, uh, we, we get a bit about Courtney just being like, hey, would you like to come with us? And Brian's just like, oh... No, sorry. I have, um, I have much work to, I have to, to catch to up do. on. Um, very, very studious person, you know. Um, She's like, okay, yeah. So we then we then switch to this random dude. Uh, we see his face, but then it turns out it's a disguise. Uh, but this guy sees a newspaper. About Captain Britain having, you know, saved the day. And he's just like, yes, Captain Britain is how I will make my name. Uh, then Noah, everyone will know the name Hurricane. Whoop-de-fucking-do. Um, so that brings us to Captain Britain number four, which is colored by Marie Severn. Um, in, this, in this issue, uh, we start out... With Brian on the campus at uh, Thames University, he is using one of the gyms to practice, you know, to practice and kind of um, get used to what he what it is he can do. It's a pretty standard daredevil workout kind of scene. Yeah, if you've he's, seen, he's on the he's on the staff balancing, and yeah, it is it is very daredevil. Um, but then some people are getting ready to come in, so he taps the amulet, changes back into Brian, and wouldn't you know, it's Jack Tanner and his mates uh, who give Brian some shit, and Brian's just like, I could crack you in half, dude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's even talking about it as he's walking away. He's like, man, I, there's... 
I don't want to use my new powers for ill, but uh, busting his lip wouldn't hurt my feelings. And Keep it's pushing like, me, man. Yeah. Keep pushing me. Uh, so he is walking across campus when he is uh, stopped by Courtney. Uh, who's like, hey, you want to get some breakfast? And he's like, I, sure. Yeah. The, I'm trying to remember, because Courtney winds up, um, Courtney winds up being kind of a big deal, if that makes sense. Not necessarily, like, uh, she winds up, I want to say she winds up heading up the who. Um, oh, cool. But. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, once you get into Excalibur, there's all this. There's a lot more skullduggery, like spycraft kind of thing going on over there, too. Like, secret agencies that don't exist in the real world, but do in this Britain. Yeah. And their their mandate is, like everything weird and supernatural either supernatural or the otherwise and that's why you end up meeting a lot of like the what's that one guy's name yeah that's helpful okay so no No. um so yeah so I had it fucked up. I was thinking of someone else. So Courtney Ross, she winds up becoming a banker uh, and meets up with Brian later on. Uh, There is an alternate reality version of her that is a villain by the name of Saturnine. Uh, And that's how she sort of fits into the weirdness. Mm -hmm. Um... But, yeah, she herself is not, yeah, it's an alternate version of her and whatever. Anyway, so, hurricane attack. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's um, demanding that Captain Britain face him. Right. Hurricane, I, there are things I really like about his costume. His, his costume is black with like a gold hurricane design on the chest and then gold backpack and like you know what have you yeah the kind of almost a uh it's not cable who am i thinking of pyro yeah pyro either pyro or almost um apocalypse with the the cables running down the fronts of his arms well apocalypse has the cables from the back of his arm oh yeah yeah to his back pyro's better Uh, pyro is the one that has the because it comes down into the... It's a fuel line, right? Flamethrower on his hand, and he's just like... <laughs> um, but anyway, it's very similar. He has that, except instead of fire, he creates, like, miniature whirlwinds out of his hands. Um, so, Brian attempts to fight him, and... Uh, <laughs> These these few issues these do not go his way. He, uh, yeah, that's the that's another good thing about this. Like it isn't like he's perfect at it. It's like he's kind of crap. Well, this is this is very much the sort of uh, the sort of Spider Man yeah thing where 
He goes in, he gets knocked around, he goes back home, and then he's just like, okay. So this dude's deal is this. If I find some way to blah, then I can beat him. And then he tries again, and he, except with Brian, it's a one, one or two more steps here. Um, <laughs> with Brian, it's, okay, what happened? I think I got my ass kicked this way. Let me try and come at it a different... Nope, nope, that didn't work. Yeah. That wasn't it at all. <laughs> that, that got my ass kicked harder. So he gets spun around and slammed into the ground. And Hurricane's like, ha ha, I beat Captain Britain and flies away. Yeah. So Captain Britain number five uh, is colored by Marie Severin and lettered by Karen Mantlo. Um, hmm. Excuse me. Uh, in the in the beginning of this, they're they're picking up, or they're digging people out from the destruction at Tim's University. Brian, uh, unlike so many other superheroes, is helping with this. Um, Hurricane, you know, is like. We get a we get a brief flash of Hurricane, who's just like, "I'm gonna do evil, cause I'm evil. I'm goddamn Hurricane." Uh, so, um, Brian is helping when the cops show up, and Di Thomas is just like, "You're fucking would... superheroes, and you again. If you wouldn't have been here, he wouldn't have attacked in the first place." And Brian's like, "Well, I mean." hold on, man. And then one of his uh, professors steps in and is like, yeah, he's right. If he hadn't have been here, the damage would have been much worse and more extensive. We might have actually had people killed. Uh, in Because he was here, we avoided all of that. Yes, there was destruction, maybe some minor injuries, but we're all fine. While they're yelling at each other, Brian's like, bye. <laughs> and yeah. sneaks away, but is watched by one of Die Thomas is what I'm going to call this a lieutenant, and no, an assistant called Kate Frazier. What uh, I what I will say is there's a there's a lot to be made about like, well, you know, if the Batman didn't exist, then so and so wouldn't exist, and yada yada yada. Uh, in this instance, Hurricane had that suit ready to go. His whole plan was to get to. He was actually on his way to one of the airports, not Heathrow, the other one, and um. I don't remember the name of it. I'll, I'll think of it in three hours. It's fine. Uh, um, and he was on his way to one of the airports to go to New York and pick a fight with somebody. He just didn't have to do... Like, he even says, Hey, I don't even have to go to America now. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's do this. Yeah. So, um, Hurricane would have existed even without yeah. Captain Britain. Um, but, in the course of things, so there's a whole thing about, like, Brian's missing. And then Brian just rolls up and he's like... I got hit on the head. Uh, you know, very standard Clark Kent sort of, uh, you know, because Brian, like, he doesn't have, he doesn't have Spider-Man's excuse of like, oh, I went to get a better vantage point for pictures. So he's got to do the Clark Kent, like, oh, I got knocked on the head like a little bitch and was unconscious the whole time. I actually like this better, though, because Peter... 
Peter Parker has to come back and be like, sorry, I was um, over there out of view of everyone. And now I have to keep up this lie for the next 40 fucking years. And shit. Like, it is an an overcomplication of Spider-Man. And it's part of what Spider-Man is, right? Yeah. Whereas with this, it's just like, nah, man, I got hit. It was You just didn't find me yet. Yeah. I pulled myself out of the rubble. Yeah. But the interesting thing in this bit is that we we get the beginnings of Brian's Spider-Man moment wherein uh Sandy took pictures of uh Hurricane but they did not come out because Hurricane was emitting radiation. So Brian is just like, okay, I know radiation. Back to the lab. Radiation's my thing. So he goes to the lab and creates a tracker. Yeah. He manages to create a tracker that will allow him to uh, figure out where uh, Hurricane is at any given time. So he goes and uh, tracks down Hurricane in this... Is it a warehouse? It's a warehouse. It's a warehouse by the airport. Yeah. So he attacks... And, uh, that is, we, that is where we leave it for this issue. Oh, and he's, uh, Hurricane's, at dawn the next day, he's going to ransom the city for a billion dollars, or a billion pounds, because he wants money, otherwise he'll destroy the city. Yeah. Uh, Captain Britain... Number six is uh, lettered by Irving Watanabe. And so uh, Captain Britain and Hurricane battle. Uh, in the course of things, maybe it was a hangar at Heathrow? Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. But anyway, it spills out into Heathrow Airport. They start battling, and uh, it does not go Brian's way. It, yeah, uh, again, now he's got a way to track him. But he's still not actually ready for this fight. Right. So, he, uh, the short version is, he gets his ass kicked. And at the end of this, um, basically, uh, Hurricane brings down a plane by him. Uh, and Brian gets knocked out. Or something. Whatever. Um, he brings down a plane on top of him, but manages to save... Brian manages to be in the right place at the right time to so that the plane doesn't explode. And it actually lands and all the people on it are fine. Right. Then Hurricane... He rolls over on his side just in time for Hurricane to be hovering above him, just pummeling him the shit into the, into the tarmac. Right. That's when he... He actually, because of the way the convection works, he runs out of oxygen and, exp- right. and passes out. Um, and it's like, I Wakes can't, up. I cannot believe he's beating me again. Yeah. Hurricane grabs him and makes for a different hangar, I guess, then wakes up. Brian wakes up and he's chained to the engine the in- of... The intake of a, ca- of a Concorde. Right. Um, Which for... Yeah. A Concorde used to be a supersonic passenger jet that would go between New York and actually it was Paris. It was Paris. 
It was London or Paris. Oh, could, either one? It could go... Yeah, there were Concords to both. Uh, the problem with Concords are the are that so... The benefit was you could get to London or Paris in like four hours. Planes planes have sort of maxed out how fast they can go. Yeah. Without causing damage. Uh, because, you know, sonic booms. But also, the problem with the Concorde is the Concorde was ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Because it was... It was, I was actually just reading something about the Concorde that said that uh, because of the exponential fuel use in going that much faster, it was 10 times more expensive per passenger per mile God. than a normal flight. Uh, so yeah, it would be like $7,500 to take the Concorde. Uh, so your choices were like... Pay, uh, you know, because international flights aren't cheap as no. a general rule. Uh, so you pay a lot and it takes a while. Yeah. Or you pay even more. And it takes slight. It was. I don't remember exactly how long it took. It was significantly faster. It, it was. I yeah. mean, the Concorde, the Concorde was great until you actually stopped to think about, like. <laughs> All of it. All of the problems. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, yeah, he's he's stri- he's chained to the intake of the Concorde jet. Uh, end of issue. So, Captain, Bri- Captain Brian. <laughs> Captain Britain number seven. Uh, starts with him trying to figure out what he's going to do. Hurricane's just like, ha, 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 ha. Gloat, gloat, gloat. Um, gloat, gloat, gloat. While I'm gloating, I'm gonna kill you like I should all the bastards that I used to work with. Oh, okay. I guess we're gonna get your origin now. And we do. Turns out he was a guy named something. Albert Potter. <laughs> Honestly, I named was like, something. I don't, cares? I don't care. Um, he had a name, and he worked at the international. Uh, Meteorological Institute doing weather science. Which, yeah. And he was working on a way to control hurricane winds so that when the hurricanes were building up, you could go defuse them or something. Yeah. And all of his co-workers were like, you're a crackpot. And all of his management was like, you're costing us too much money for no return. Your projects are all shut down. Yeah. Luckily, he had just gotten far enough on one of his projects that he was able to finish it up, which is this some sort of hurricane weather control craft. It's It looks dumb as hell. It looks dumb as hell. And it's, it's suitably vague. Yeah. So as to allow it to be just... A hurricane thing. So he flies it into a hurricane that's building up over the Azores. uh, But the force of the storm uh, destroys the craft. And he is pitched into the water below. Loses all his hair. Loses all his hair. Because something in the machine combined with something in the storm managed to irradiate the hell out of him and also give him he's generating a shitload of heat now 
yeah. is the real deal, which is how hurricanes happen. Um, yeah. And he's eventually found by a ship. Um, they manage to cool him down, but he's like, now I had all the power I needed to extract my vengeance on mankind. Woo. Yeah. So he turns on the jet. Um, and so Brian's, Brian's like, well, I am well and truly fucked. Uh, <laughs> he manages to get one of his arms free and is like, I, I don't know what else to do. I can't get my other arms free and my legs are nowhere near coming free. And he's like, well, his um, other arms? yes, his other arms. He's got so many arms. Uh, he, he's like, well, these, these restraints were designed for Captain Britain, not Brian Braddock. So maybe if I turn myself back into Brian real quick and hope I don't get sucked into the thing, uh, which hand wave, hand wave, that works. Yeah. He's able to sort of use the chains to swing over out of the way, drop down, touch his amulet, turn back into Captain Britain. Uh, it's in the course of this that he he starts working out like how he can defeat uh, Hurricane. He finally, did, he did get a good hint in one of the previous two issues when he managed to land a pretty good blow on the backpack on accident, mm-hmm. and that sent Hurricane into like a don't fucking touch that. And he's like, okay, okay, I can start working with that. That yeah. has, there's something has to be there, um, because the backpack is incredibly cold, and there's something has to be doing with that. So, with that in mind, short version, he smashes the backpack. Uh, hurricane overheats and is brought down. Hooray! His first real challenge, mm-hmm. and he won out. Hooray! Uh. So yeah, other other than other than Hurricane's origin being kind of shit, this is actually a really good story. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hurricane. This is, this is why I like Claremont on the mutant books is because when he has to put an effort into an actual origin for a villain, it generally doesn't go well. <laughs> uh, when he's able to just be like, Guy, "Dude's a mutant." Yeah. Then he's just like, then it's like, cool, okay, who is he? Why is he the way he is? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Claremont's golden on that, but the soft science bullshit that goes into creating a supervillain, he's not so good at that. <laughs> so, yeah. But, I mean, um, he's... he's... I, I like the fact that, like we said before, we do the Spider-Man formula, but we have to do it a couple of times. I like that. Um, I like the story as a whole. With the exception of the that first, the bank robbery kind of is a little bit of a one-off, but everything from there on is pretty solid. I, I kind of look at the, I kind of look at the bank robbery as a segue. Yeah. Because the Darkmoor stuff, Probably was not going to be common knowledge. The bank robbery gets us from point A to point B. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we oh, have his yeah. origin at Darkmoor. That's probably not the sort of thing, like, they may not, they may say on the news that night, 
incident at Darkmoor. Yeah. But they're probably not good. The details are not going to be super apparent. Stuff like that. Uh, by showing him out fighting crime, we then are able to, A, establish his credentials to the general public, B, bring in Di Thomas and his, you know, not here stuff, yeah. uh, and C, then establish how Hurricane knows about Captain Britain and wants to destroy him. Yeah. So, yeah, overall, pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, I did not expect to enjoy... I really didn't expect to enjoy Captain Britain as much so fast. Yeah. Just because I know that later on, as Excalibur approaches, things get fucking weird. Yeah. And I knew I was probably going to enjoy that. It's like, I realized that when it comes to, like, Marvel, you kind of have to pick your battles. And by that I mean... You have to pick what it is that you're going to follow. Um, and there's the there's the cosmic branch, there's the earth-based branch, but then there's also like in even in the earth-based, there's Avenger-centric, there's Excalibur or Britain-centric, and then there's the mutants, right? Like right. you have There's the spider books. And then the spider books as well. Like you only have so many you have so many different spheres that you really have to pick one. Yeah. Or pick one or two in order to pay attention to it. Uh, oh, and also the Inhumans shit, right? Like, all of that, too. You you cannot, as a growing up reader, you're not going to be able to watch pay attention to all of this at the same time. The most you can do is... Three. Like, if you you either pick one of the bigger spheres, like the Avengers books... The X-Men, uh, you know, the the English stuff, the cosmic, yada, yada, yada. Or you pick a few heroes that you yeah. like. Yeah. And you pick people that have one book and you follow, like, so you may follow Punisher, you know, fucking... You know, Captain America, Punisher, and Spider-Man. And that's what you do. Or you made a terrible decision in your I life. I do not recommend doing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you made a per- terrible decision in your life and you were like, I'm going to read X-Men stuff. And then you were broke. Um, especially when I was growing that up. Was, that was my mistake. <laughs> um, and what I, all of that to say, the British books are a huge blind spot for me. Like, those are the ones that I would just like, nope, I'm not going to get there because I got too many other things to do. Yeah. Um, so it's been really delightful to be like, do I know of Captain Britain? Sure. Um, I did not expect to enjoy the first two yeah. story arcs this fully, this fast. So yeah. it's really cool. The one thing I will say, the supporting cast is very formulaic. Uh, sure. Same with Nova. Yeah. Say, like, they are very much building on the Spider-Man style, like... You got a bully. You, you got, got a bully. Girl. You got a love interest. You got, you know, blah, 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 blah. You got a, you got a love interest that likes you a lot more than you like, than you know. Yeah. You, you are oblivious to, or mm-hmm. what have you. Uh, yeah. So anyway, 
Uh, so let's round this out with a couple issues of Fantastic Four. Uh, Fantastic Four, number 171, is written by Roy Thomas, penciled by George Perez and Rich Buckler, inked by Joe Sinnott, colored by Phil Rachelson, lettered by Joe Rosen, and uh, edited by Roy Thomas. I feel like we can kind of blow through this first issue. Uh, I mean, it's Ben punching up an android in the lab and basically being Ben about whether or not he is the thing anymore because now that he's using the exosuit and can still punch almost as hard as he always could, is he really worthwhile to be in the FF? Blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. Yeah. Do it or don't, man. Um, Shoe's powers are getting beefed up immensely. And so that leads to more trepidation on on his part. Meanwhile, Sue is just like, you know, Alicia's really having a great time taking care of Franklin. I think hint. she kind of wants to be a mom. Hint, hint, fucking hint. Um, <laughs> and Ben's just like, I don't know about all that. Johnny, if you'll recall, has kind of decided in light of Frankie losing her shit over his being the Human Torch... Uh, has decided to take a step back from the Fantastic Four. So he takes Frankie to the Central Park Zoo, uh, you know, and there's a, there's a really doofy moment where he's just like, you know, those bars are to, aren't to protect us from the lion, but to protect the lion from us. And she's like, uh-huh. And yeah. This, I've really, heard that one before, but you're still really cute, so you get a pass. I really identified with this, because this is... this. So... <laughs> this is the kind of shit you get called out on from your wife, isn't it? A lot. Yeah. A lot. Um, there, are, there, are, there are a lot of you're lucky you're so cute moments uh, with, with her. So... Um, <laughs> but also, the thing that I like about this whole interaction is... They're just specifically discussing why it is that Johnny's trying to leave the FF and why it is that him turning into the uh, torch freaked her out. And then this spaceship lands in Central Park and Johnny's first reaction is flame on, I'm gone. Yeah. Like, he barely is like, I, um, I should, he kind of looks at her and then looks at the thing. And then looks at her, and then a golden gorilla comes out of the spaceship, and he's like, ah, fuck, and he goes. Yeah. So, the entire issue, there's this golden gorilla. It has, like, this aura around it that keeps it from, uh, keeps a lot of the attacks from connecting. So, ultimately, what they are, it starts growing and rampaging and blah, 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 blah. Grabs Sue at one point, because why not? Uh, we get the full King Kong. She is eventually able to wrap it in a um, in a force field, which then cuts off what is causing it to grow. And to rampage. And to go so crazy. Uh, in doing so, the ape shrinks and falls. They manage to save the ape and uh, take it back to 
the Baxter building where uh, they put it in the th- in this rig that they had <laughs> built for Hulk. And uh, Reed's just like, so Ben, you're not going to let him out like you did the Hulk, are you? And Ben's like, Hey, Stretch, fuck you. <laughs> and uh, Hey, Stretch, we talked about that. Also, fuck you. So, uh, but it's at this point that the ape starts talking and tells them that it was sent uh, because Galactus is coming for uh, Counter-Earth. And that is the end of that issue. Then Fantastic Four number 172 is written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by George Perez, colored by Petra Goldberg. Um, in which our first family of the Marvel Universe is duped by a monkey. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's like, okay, so this is stupid and tedious for the first half of it. Because Gore's like, yes, Galactus is coming to my planet. We need to go now. Will you please just listen to me? And they're all like, well, I don't know why we should believe you. And he's like, I'm a talking gorilla. <laughs> and they're like... Well, I don't think we should. And he's like, okay, fuck you, I'm gone. And he breaks himself out of the thing that was meant to hold Hulk. Which, fine. Um, and proceeds to lay the smack down on all of them. And they go back and forth about, shouldn't we listen to this guy? Or shouldn't we listen to this gorilla? And Sue's very much on, we should listen to the thing? Like, yeah. why are you guys punching it? Uh, and Until... Reed, who had attacked Gore, the gorilla, uh, is thrown by Gore into one of the machines. At that point, she's like, nah, not my man. Um, and attacks him as well. Gore's like, okay, fine, fuck you, and grabs the new Fantastic Car and leaves. Yeah, so he takes off. They then follow in the Super Tubmobile uh, Fantastic Car, and. He uh, <clears throat> he enters the ship. They go in after him, at which point the ship takes off. And they're like, God damn it, we were duped by a gorilla. Uh, at which point Gore comes in and he's just like, yeah, sorry, but Counter-Earth needs your help. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about, Counter-Earth? And he explains what Counter-Earth is. If you don't recall, High Evolutionary created a new Earth in order to make it perfect. Man-Beast got involved and fucked it up. Ostensibly, Counter-Earth is supposed to be, like, our Earth and everything. It's uh, uh, it's supposed to be our Earth without the superheroes. Right. Except and that because Man-Beast fucked it up, think of it original almost... Original Sin and blah, blah, blah. And also think of it a little bit like... Um, it's almost a burgeoning Ultimate Universe. Like... Because Man Beast fucked with it, we still end up getting some of those things, some of the superheroes, but from different places. Yeah, yeah. well, the Counter-Earth is a whole... So, at the, at the point at which Counter-Earth was created, it was meant to be a perfectly pure Earth. Um, Man Beast fucked with it, and it wound up becoming like our world. There is a Reed, There was a Reed Richards there, there was a... Victor Von Doom and Bruce Banner, but they did not have powers. Oh yeah, stuff like that. And um, Doom died. Doom died. It's like um, in a in a really uh, self sacrificing way. This was right. all in um, Warlock. Yeah, Marvel yeah. premiere and yeah. Warlock. Um, so Warlock then, when when Warlock was simply him, 
He was found by the High Evolutionary, who sent him to try and correct the whole situation. Warlock became Counter-Earth Jesus, and on and on and on. It's fine. Whatever. But anyway, so the upshot of all of this is Galactus, with his Herald, which is the Destroyer armor, uh, that Galactus is basically projecting himself into... Uh, they have found Counter-Earth. Reed has problems with this because he's just like... We made a deal. We would have... If if a thing like this existed, we would have known. And Gore is just like, no, you wouldn't. Like, <laughs> like the High Evolutionary is... Really good at this. Yeah, he, <laughs> he hit it really, really well. Um, unfortunately, they found it. Um, Galactus isn't on Earth. He could see that there was another planet on the other side of the sun. Uh, and Reed's still like, but Galactus and us, we made a deal. And, he, and Gore's like, yeah, you made a deal for your Earth. Yeah. Not mine. So. And Galactus is real pissed. And also, I don't know if you've met, if you've noticed, he's a bit of a vengeful asshole. So. Yeah. He wants so, to eat this Earth on principle alone. So. The High Evolutionary is fighting the Destroyer armor, trying to keep it occupied while Gore goes and collects the Fantastic Four. So, they arrive, Thing goes out in his exosuit, uh, and he's like, don't I gotta wear a spacesuit? And Reed's like, as long as you keep your mouth shut, you should be fine. Um, and Thing's just like, mm-hmm. So... They go and they they have their battle on the surface of uh, the High Evolutionary's man-made satellite. And he is... Thing is holding his own, but then Galactus shows up and that's that. So, uh, these aren't... These aren't... These aren't bad. They're no. weird uh, in a kind of fun way. Uh, so I like Gore explaining to the FF Counter Earth. Yeah, I like, and then being bewildered and like how a demonstration of how powerful the High Evolutionary actually is, and I really like the middle of this for some reason, just because it's weird. Uh, I also, I will say, I really like George Perez's art. Oh, here. yeah. And the paneling is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's difficult for me. I'm, like, I'm trying to write something down for top five about this issue because I do really enjoy it once we finally get off Earth. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm, having an ish, I'm having a difficulty putting a finger on what it is yeah. that I like. Um I mean, it the, gets going for one. But. Yeah, it starts. Um, I'm I'm interested to see. Just being, remi- I guess it's like just being reminded of like what was going on Counter Earth side when last we left um, yeah. is a neat reminder of, with the exception of all the Space Jesus stuff, <laughs> I really enjoyed that Warlock run. Yeah, yeah, it was just, by the time, I I liked Warlock and the Counter-Earth stuff 
within reason. By the time it was all said and done, I was like, we fucking get it. Yeah. He's Jesus. Come on. So, yeah. Anyway. But, like I said, once it gets going, yeah, I quite enjoyed this. Uh, It just takes a bit to get there. The Watcher's Guide's Top 5. Top 5. Alright, so, starting out, number 5. Thank goodness that airliner was empty. We get a lot of that. Again and again. (laughs) And again and again. So many empty airliners. And those buildings on campus were empty. It was just sort of a theme this week. How, how... How is the how is the uh, airplane the air travel air travel industry surviving if they're just running empty <laughs> airplanes so goddamn all? I actually think maybe at this point they're uh, putting airplanes that they're hoping to decom or have been decommissioned and they need to scrap. But it would just be easier if they exploded first. They're putting them on rail runways just in case superheroes happen to fight. Right. Um, number four, a stark warning to all of their, all of you out there, Ben Franklin will fuck your girlfriend. Um, (laughs) uh, do not leave your girlfriend alone with Ben Franklin. You have been warned. Uh, number three, this, I was saying I couldn't really find a thing to put my finger on with that last FF issue, but... High Evolutionary holding the uh, Destroyer armor at bay as Gore is explaining all of what's going on. I think that was just like a a good explanation of the kind of powers we're dealing with here. Um, And maybe that, like that stake setting sort of scene is also one of the things that I liked about it. Um, So that was number three. Number two... Uh, the slow burn inter- introduction of Storm's claustrophobia and how, um, just how truly dangerous she can be. And, uh, another thing different, uh, which actually was the next issue, but the, another thing about Storm that was cool was after Cyclops, ostensible leader of the X-Men, cuffs Wolverine for you know, talking back at him at the, at the airport for not shooting his brother out of the sky. Uh, Storm's the one who steps up and is like, no, back off yeah. to Wolverine. And it's like, okay, so not only were they doing that, like, they have big plan. He has big definitive plans for all of these characters. Yeah. Really, really early. And I think it's one of the reasons why Claremont's run on X-Men sings is just because it's clear there were there was stuff coming and like setting storm up as a possible as leadership material for this team that early on is incredible yeah um and then uh number 1 is the i was going i have here the introduction to all the cosmic bs in captain britain like being so forefront but honest to god just the introduction of Captain Britain into the Marvel Universe is done so well that even though you, as you pointed out, and I didn't, I didn't put it together until 
you pointed it out, it is very, it is pretty formulaic, much in the same way that Nova was, except that this works better. Yeah. Um, so just, th- this is a really good first few stories for Captain Brave. Um, and specifically, I liked how the cosmic stuff is built into the character in a way that I was not expecting because I just don't know the character that well. Right. So. I hear you. That's me. Uh, my number five. Um, to the writers of Fantastic Four, if you want to use the bathtub Fantasticar, just use the bathtub Fantasticar. They keep finding reasons <laughs> to for bring like, out the mothballs. <laughs> for like. The card, the fantastic card to have been stolen, so they have to use the bathtub one. Just use the bathtub one if you want. Come on, guys. It's fine. Uh, my number four is the Ben Franklin thing, but a different <laughs> aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It's not even that she fucks Ben Franklin, though that's plenty funny. Uh, <laughs> it's the fact that I'm Stephen. I'm in love. With Ben Franklin. I'm going to stay here. (laughs) And Ben Franklin and I are going to get married. And Stephen's just like, wait a minute. That's not Ben Franklin. (laughs) That's Stigero. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. We We don't deal with any... Shall we go home? (laughs) We don't deal with any of that kind of emotional fallout from Clea. Yeah, because like, yeah, it wasn't Ben Franklin. But whoever it was, she still fucked him. And was making life decisions of extreme import. She was going there were to some stay. very major issues that were co- that were going on that were causing her to be unhappy and to be looking for what she needs elsewhere. And it's just dropped. But not and not only it's dropped, those not only are the impetus for those decisions are that dropped. But then, like, the fallout from finding out that she was actually, that wasn't Ben Franklin and all of her decisions were po- were moot, like, that'd still fuck with you, too. It's not even that her decisions were moot. It was, that's, uh, that's rape. Yep. I mean, no to it. Like, Absolutely. posing as someone else to get someone into bed. Yep. That's. That's her, that, it's horrendous. All around. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But going back to my jokey part of that, it's <laughs> just like, oh, okay. So, um, do you want to get takeout tonight? Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, number three is George Perez's art in the uh, the second issue of Fantastic Four there. was just really, oh, yeah. really well done all around. Uh, number two, this is another, I really like the slow roll with Storm, but another kind of slow roll of character development is Kurt with the image inducer, Mm -hmm. uh, in that we have not really established fully who Kurt is. We do not know anything about Kurt's swashbuckling nature. At this point in time, all we know, we know vaguely who he is, 
But we haven't established that he's like that Errol Flynn type of dude. And this is that first indication yeah, of that. You're and right. It's, it's such, it's even more low key than Storm's mm-hmm. claustrophobia. And it's just, it's really well done. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then number one is Captain Britain. I, I did not expect to like Captain Britain as much as I did. You're right. Uh, it was a very pleasant surprise. And, uh, yeah, I, I actually kind of look forward to reading more of it, which is, which is good for you. Well, (laughs) there's that. Um, next week, uh, we have some more of Fantastic Four than, uh, couple issues of Incredible Hulk and then a run of Defenders leading up to Defenders number 50 um so that is uh that is it for us this week in the meantime like us on facebook follow us on uh twitter both individually and at watchers guide mu did just post the second episode of our uh show how marvelous with mickey lexa of my gender is cinema uh email us at watchersguide at gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com. I do want to mention, you know, you and I were talking about uh, the the Google search uh, search uh, keywords, you know, and about how. So our website has all of these analytics. Oh yeah, and I will. Every so often, I will get on there and sort of comb through some of them. I will check fairly regularly just to see sort of what our traffic numbers are, which this past month, we did hit 2,200 RSS subscribers. Nice. So, uh, thanks. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. Uh, Then also, you can look for uh, search keywords and stuff like that. Uh, what I did not realize was a few months back, we had an episode called, so the mouth pooping. And this was in reference to the revelation in the Donny Cates Venom book that, uh, the stuff on Venom's tongue is actually a waste product from the Venom symbiote. Um, and so, you know, we were, we were joking, we made a lot of jokes about that. And so the episode, of course, had to be titled accordingly, but turns out we got a big bump that week. (laughs) uh, We got a, we got a few people searching, uh, for stuff that found us. Uh, apparently they were searching for pooping in the mouth and, uh. Sorry to disappoint. Yeah, I want to go ahead and extend those people an apology. Um, We did not mean to be misleading. (laughs) We were just trying to laugh about Venom pooping from his mouth. Uh, And and I kind of like to think of it as like the the Patton Oswalt thing about the... uh, the two meth heads 
blowing each other in the tunnel where it's just like he's he he's walking his dog and comes across this and meanwhile he's like i realized i'm part of their story about like this fucking town man i'm down in the in the fifth street grime tunnel getting a blowy from no tooth nick and you know this guy walks up with his dog and the dog just takes a shit (laughs) and so i just imagine that these people are just like i'm on the internet i'm just trying to find some wholesome scat porn and these fucking comic book nerds come in i don't even know what the fuck they're talking about anyway um on that note yeah that is it for us this week uh sorry again uh just in general well for everything (laughs) but especially for uh depriving you of more scat porn uh have a marvelous week bye (laughs) 